Welcome to That Hockey Show, part of the Go Hockey Media Radio Network. It's time to hit the ice for some puck talk, no matter how many teeth you have left, with some of the sharpest line mates covering the game. We're going coast to coast and through the neutral zone to light the lamp with all the latest hockey chirping you can handle. So, you better keep your head up, because the team at THS always finishes their checks. It's showtime. Let's drop the puck, and if we have to, drop the gloves on That Hockey Show, where the game is always on. Yes, indeed, the game is always on right here at THS. Welcome to That Hockey Show, everybody. Appreciate you stopping in, checking us out, listening, downloading, subscribing, and sharing. Thank you so much. Thursday, February 18th, yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the THS studio here at the Go. Hockey Media Studios on Long Island in New York. And as always, my THS line mates will be joining me as they do every Thursday afternoon. We got Joe Yurden coming up to on the face-off here in just a little bit, and we'll talk some <clears throat> Eastern Division and Buffalo Sabres. Our buddy Costa Papoulias up north in Montreal will talk the Canadian Division as well as the Montreal Canadiens. Tab Banford will then join us from Chicago. And we'll talk some Hawks and the Central Division. And then rounding out the show, as always, our good friend Mr. Steve Palumbo. Way out west on the left coast. And we'll talk some West Division. And we'll swing back and always talk some New Jersey Devils with Steve-O. But here we are. Again, Thursday, February 18th, week five of the NHL season. So much going on. Lots of hockey. Even uh, with all the COVID pauses, uh, the games have been rolling on and and we're digging that here. And as far as, um, you know, where everybody stands right now, um, let's just talk about five games last night. And we got nine games on the schedule tonight with a postponement. Uh, the Bolts and Stars are postponed. But uh, looking at last night's game, the Panthers beat the uh, Canes 4-3 to in overtime. The Leafs uh, continue to roll on here with a win against the Sens, 2-1. to The Hawks, the Chicago Blackhawks, unbelievable, playing so damn well. With a two nothing win, uh, win against the Wings, they're sweeping the Wings this week, and we'll talk to Tab about how good those guys are playing. The Canucks back in the win column with a five one win against the Flames last night, and the Oilers, um, and Connor McDavid getting his five hundredth point last night uh, against the Jets. They win three two to round out last night's uh, games. Again, nine games tonight with the Devils and the Bruins. Devils second game back since their two week hiatus with the COVID protocol. Uh, after a win against the Rangers on Tuesday. So a good matchup, good test up for uh, for them. The Rangers go out to Flyers. The Flyers obviously playing for the first time in a couple of weeks too. Uh, a little tune-up here before they, um, they're going to have the Bruins again, I believe, uh, on Friday. Um, and then they'll play uh, this weekend on Sunday. Uh, i got to just uh, confirm that. But they are playing in Lake Tahoe. We'll talk about Lake Tahoe games this weekend as well, too. Uh, Islanders at Pittsburgh. Islanders are uh, playing pretty good, too, of late, uh, taking care of the Sabres there and the Rangers recently and uh, playing a little bit against Pittsburgh. So a little rematch for them against the Pens tonight. Uh, Predators playing at Columbus. The Sens are, like I said, are back at the Leafs tonight. Sabres and Caps. And we'll talk Sabres and, and how they're doing since they've come back with Joey here in a little bit. Uh, Sharks and the Blues are playing this evening. These are the West Coast games. Kings and the Coyotes, and then the Wild at the Ducks. The Wild's getting back on the ice as well. 
Uh, a little trouble there in Arizona we've been hearing as far as their front office and management and the state of that team. Maybe we can get into that a little bit later with Steve-O uh, when we talk about the, the West. As far as the league, your top 10. Leafs uh, leading the whole league here with 12-3-2 and two and 26 points. Uh, Panthers playing really well in the Quenville right now, 10-2-2. and two. Boston, 10-2-2. and two. Uh, A little break this week for them. But they get back on the ice. Uh, to start trying to pick up some points. The Hawks again, nine five and four, fourth in the league. The Chicago Blackhawks, twenty two points. Bolts ten three and one, as well as Vegas and Carolina, twenty one points there. And then Montreal rounding out the bottom three with St. Louis and the Oilers, all nine four and two, nine five and two, and then the Oilers ten eight and zero oh, with twenty points. As far as who's hot in the league right now, it's Connor McDavid. Just talked about it before. He gets his five hundredth point, five hundredth point last night he's got 32 on the season uh Matthews in uh, Toronto was still leading with goals 14 goals but Brock um <clears throat> uh, Bozer there in the in Vancouver has 12 goals so he's right behind him McDavid leading the assists with 23 uh Joe Pavelski out in uh, Dallas has got seven power play goals uh Frederick Anderson still hanging in there leading the uh, league in wins as far as goaltenders with 10 uh, Johnny Gibson and um, Varlano there in uh, Long Island both have three shutouts uh, as well. So uh, other big news before uh, Joe gets on here in just a few minutes. Um, you know, the Sabres and the Devs getting back on ice as, as well as the Flyers. Um, so that's just great for those organizations and those fans more than anything just to get playing again. Um, so that's going to be really cool. And then this weekend we got a treat here for for hockey fans and, and hopefully some new hockey fans will t- tune in too is the Vegas Knights and the Avs will play on Saturday in Lake Tahoe at 3 p.m. Eastern time. And then again, like I said before, the Flyers and the Bruins are going to play on Sunday at uh, 3 p.m. And those are both on NBC um, national TV here in the States. And I'm sure they'll be up on Sportsnet or TSN uh, up in Canada, up in the Great White North. So uh, some good stuff uh, there as well. And um, just kind of looking around here a little bit, got the leaders there and everything else. Um, other news we'll get into today, like I said, uh, the Rangers struggling a little bit, Quinn there in the, in the east, and we'll talk to uh, Joe about that as well. Um, you know, and we'll just run through all the divisions here in terms of who's playing. A couple of notes here from uh, the NHL's uh, morning skate, uh, just as far as McDavid there in the 500th point, he joins, uh, you know, legendary NHL company. Um, and it's his, only his 369th career regular season game. He gets that 500 points. So uh, the kid is just flying. And uh, I was talking before, the Bruin Flyers are set to uh, uh, contest their final game. So they're, they're not playing each other, but they've got a couple of games here, like I said, tonight uh, before they play this weekend. And um, so that's just going to be a lot of fun uh, watching that. Uh, the Panthers are rolling. Um you know, and a couple other things here too. Like I said before, the stars and the and the lightning are canceled, postponed tonight. I guess is what they call it. Um, you know, uh, let me see here. Uh, this, you know, it's 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 Black History Month too, and some great news as far as um, what the NHL here is doing. I know, like, um, uh, Jerome Gula was, um, you know, uh, just talking this week. A lot of interviews, a lot of players of color, some great players of color uh, in the NHL. Um, you know, just talking this week, and uh, Bauer did some stuff with some. Um, uh, special skates here this week too, um, to to honor that too, and uh, I think um, a couple of players uh, wore the uh, the skates here. Um, actually, Panthers forward Anthony Duclair and Blackhawks forward Patrick Kane, um, they wore skates honoring uh, Pioneer Willie O'Ray. Uh, and the skates will be worn uh, by players around the league and auctioned off with proceeds to go to the Black Girl Hockey Club, which is a nonprofit dedicated uh, to uniting Black women in the hockey community and making the game more welcoming and accessible. 
Uh, so that's just great stuff. Um, there's a couple of great count, uh, accounts out there. Girls of Hockey is fantastic. Uh, uh, the Soul of Hockey, I believe, is another account you want to f- uh, follow out there. And I think it's just great stuff. Uh, some great players. Uh, I saw Tony McKegney was, uh, you know, uh, honored this week too as well, just in terms of the news and stuff. And he was – I love Tony when he played with the Rangers. Uh, Grant Fuhr, obviously, for the Oilers years ago, and Jerome McGinley, and you go on and on. Uh, so many great players. And there's so many great young uh, players of color now, obviously, of Andrew Kane and um, Cam Miller here in New York, too, as well. So uh, great stuff by the NHL, and um, uh, just hope that continues. And we definitely want to just continue to have more diversity here uh, in the NHL. Uh, just makes the league uh, so much better. So that's pretty much what's going on in my quick little roundup here. And again, like I said, every week, if you're listening for the first time here, uh, my little intro, just introducing the show here every week, we do this. And then uh, we got Joe Yurden uh, calling in from Buffalo. Um, Costa's up in Montreal. And then uh, Tab's going to be calling in from Chicago. And then we hang out with Stevie uh, out in California, out in the West. And we just uh, have a great time here every week. So if, if you're if you're listening for the first time, follow us at That Hockey Show and, and check out... Uh, uh, all the guys' uh, Twitter accounts are on that, and they're all great follows, really smart guys, know the game very well. Uh, it's a pleasure for me every week to sit here and hang out with these guys and talk hockey. It's just uh, a lot of fun, and we do this, like I said, once a week. And, you know, as we go forward here, maybe we'll expand the show a little bit, maybe do some more programming, and we're rolling along with the league uh, this COVID season. You might want to call this 56-game uh, compact season, and we're all hoping for uh, down the road, uh, once they give out the Stanley Cup this summer, we get back to, to normal stuff. I mean, that's another Big news story here, definitely in the Northeast and here in New York with uh, uh, the arenas here being able to uh, open up a little bit of capacity, like 10%. We're going to have like 2,000 fans being able to go into the Coliseum here in the Garden. And uh, I'm I'm not sure about Jersey right now, but I imagine the same kind of thing. But definitely on Long Island and New York here, they're going to get some fans in, some season ticket holders. And and obviously the high rollers up in the the suites will be able to, uh, you know, watch these games here. And it's uh, any, any small step towards normalcy and, and, and getting fans in the building, which is, is basically very new up here in the Northeast. Uh, I know they've been doing it down south, uh, Texas and Carolina and Florida, so um, it'll be interesting to see um, how things go here. But uh, we're crossing our fingers, and uh, we're really happy that the state here is uh, uh, giving this a shot here. And I know they did some test runs with the Buffalo Bills up north uh, in New York here with the playoff games and stuff. So um, hopefully here as a country and as a continent here in North America, up in Canada, and we all just keep uh, doing better and the vaccines are rolling out. And, um, you know, that'll uh, just continue to keep helping us here uh, as we roll on in this NHL season. But that's enough for me right now because it's time to bring in our good buddy, the great city of Buffalo, Mr. Joey Yarden. Joey, what's up, buddy? You staying warm up there in Buffalo? It's cold and snowy down here on long island pal well how would uh van halen put it and stay in frosty i think i yeah, think that's the, i think that's the way they would put it stay in frosty <laughs> up here it's, it's the one way to do it man it's uh yeah snowy cold yeah it's buffalo it's, it's exactly what you want buffalo to be in february yeah but isn't it like that all year round though even in the summer no <laughs> does it warm up at I all mean, up there? you know with <laughs> Uh, at the moment, no, I think it's like 20 degrees, which okay. I mean, I guess for, for a Buffalo winter is, uh, is warm. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's almost 30, man. Get the shorts out. Shorts there and sweatshirt weather. <laughs> so how you feeling, man? I saw on the Twitter, man, you, you, you got, I was just talking there in the intro about, um, 
you know, uh, the arena's down here, and I got to ask you what they're doing up in Buffalo, but, you know, talking about uh, letting 10% capacity in the fans here at the end of the month and letting them into the building, and I was just talking, like, about coinciding with, you know, cases getting better in the vaccines and stuff, but mm-hmm. I saw you got a shot there. How are you feeling? Yeah, no, the uh, left arm's a little uh, little stiff. Seems like uh, like somebody uh, did the old punch buggy, punch buggy red treatment <laughs> to me there, uh, which I, I guess all things considered is uh, is okay. We'll see how I feel after I get the uh, get the second shot in March, uh, which I was, which people have been warning me it's going to knock you out for a couple of days. Um, but you know what? I'm getting it ahead of St. Patrick's Day. So if there's going to be any St. Patrick's right. Day stuff, I got a reason to celebrate this year. So that's that, that's good for me. But now, uh, there... but yeah, you know what? No fear in the shots, man. Like unless you don't like having a having a stiff arm. Um, I mean, it's either <laughs> have a stiff arm or or run the risk of, of getting a virus. So I'll take a stiff arm any day. I hear you. Are there, are there any uh, with St. Patrick's Day coming up? Any alcoholic uh, restrictions as far as the vaccine is concerned? Uh, as far as I know, no, I, I mean, I'm staying away from it just in general because I don't want to mess with it. I haven't even taken any ibuprofen or anything. I know they said you can, but I'm just like, you know, what? I'm just going to leave well enough alone here for a couple of days. And if it, if it's still sore in, in a couple of days, then all right, then maybe I'll give in, but I'm going to blame shoveling my car out from the oh. street for, for being stiff and sore, man. Holy jeez, yeah. Just out there myself, man. Oh yeah. I, you, you guys haven't been spared down there either. So that's fun. No, no. I mean, uh, it's you know. Hey, look, us us guys down here in, in the lower state in Long Island, the city, and you guys up in Buffalo. Everybody up here in the Northeast knows how to handle this stuff. It's it's unfortunate to see what's going on down in Texas there, and all those people kind of struggling in yeah, that cold. Geez. But uh, I wish them the best. So look, pal, um, we've actually got Sabres hockey that we can kind of talk about. Which is, uh, I mean, I know it may be not the greatest Sabres hockey, but um, at least they're back playing after two weeks here. Um, you know, they got the Caps tonight. Uh, and I'm sitting in last place here in the division, but um, back-to-back 3-1 to one and 3 nothing losses to uh, the Icelanders here uh, in Buffalo. Um, Allmark and Sutton there split the two games, and uh, Olofsson uh, got the only goal, and it's good to see uh, Coach Kruger back behind the bench. So, Give me a little summary of what you uh, took away from these two games uh, since the boys, uh, you know, returning to the ice here. I'll uh, I'll, I'll say that uh, perhaps having a team after be, having a team that's been off the ice for two weeks with a bunch of guys that had COVID, uh, having them to deal with the Islanders first off probably wasn't the the uh, the right way to get brought back into the mix because we know how the Islanders play. We know they're tough. They play very tough defensively. And, you know, they've gotten great goaltending, you know, from Varlamov this season. But, but man, oh, man, I mean, you know, Islanders have been just kind of just doing their thing. And, you know, I know the Islanders have had some of their own struggles, too. But, I mean, listen, they're, they're second in the division. So they're, they're doing something right. So they, they got that going for them, which is good. But, um, but man, the Sabres were, you know, they looked every bit of the part of a team that had been off the ice for two weeks. Um, apart from a couple of practices leading into the into those games, because they looked they looked outmatched. And you know what? You know I'll give credit to Varlamov the first game. I mean he makes he makes a big save on Olafson early. He makes I mean just a, a you know he gets a gets a piece of the shot with his glove goes off the post and Islanders go right back down and end up scoring. That I mean that changes the whole aspect of that game because I think if Buffalo gets that goal first off, they get some juice in their feet and you know they get to get moving and. And the worst thing to do against the Islanders is to have to dig out of a hole against them because it's already hard enough to try to score against them. But if they got a lead, 
man, oh man, they're going to make your life miserable. They make it impossible to get through the neutral zone. They, they force you to dump the puck in to try to go after it. And they're too disciplined. I mean, that's, I mean, that's trot hockey. And that's, that's, you know, going back in the day, that's Lou hockey. I mean, that's, that's your, I mean, that's, that's the Match duo that makes that there, so, Long Island. <laughs> well, heaven for those guys, hell yeah. for everybody else. But, well, I was going to um, say your takeaway real quick uh, on the Islanders game. I, I see the, the buzz, even when uh, the rain watched them play the Rangers there last week. I mean, it's, 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 very hard to watch. Yeah, it's it's a total throwback to the Devils. And I know Devils fans are going to be like, oh, we won the Cups with it. <laughs> Great. But they also had to, like, shut the league down for a year and change the rule book to be like, all right, we're not doing this anymore. We got this. This has got to stop. The thing is, it's not that style. I mean, from a game plan standpoint, it is because, um, I mean, they, they make it impossible to get through the neutral zone, but they're doing it without the interference stuff that we had in the 90s. I mean, back then it was basically you, you'd tackle anybody who tried to get past you. I mean, defensemen were just grabbing a hold of forwards and wrestling them to the ice yeah. so they couldn't get pucks in the corner. But this is this is different. This is just matching up correctly. This is having your gaps right from your defensemen and your forwards and just being so disciplined def- defensively that – you know, you've got guys on Buffalo that can carry the puck in. You got your Eichel, you got your Reinhardt, you got your Darlene. These guys can carry the puck into the zone, but if you make it so that they got to go through two guys to at least get to the to, to get to the blue line to enter the zone, you can't take that risk because if they poke the puck away, the other guys that are set up defensively are going to spring and they're going to take off. And we saw that on one of the play one of the plays, and uh, I broke it down a little bit on Twitter where you know Sabres fans were killing Kyle Opozo. Absolutely roasted him for not being able to get back on his horse on a, I think it was an Andrews legal. Um, and you know, it, it, it's one of these things where Buffalo's doing a straight up one, two, two, four check. You know, the one, you know, the lead guy comes out, meets the guy, they make the pass and Matt Irwin comes in and takes the guy out between, you know, takes his guy out the forward between the blue and the red line at the boards, which, okay, that's a bit of a high risk play. But the second they saw him bite in the forwards took off. So then suddenly it's two forwards going in against Yoki Haru, who's the only defenseman back. And then Opozo's standing there like, uh-oh, this guy's <laughs> already gotten past me. I got to try to get on my horse, which unfortunately for Kyle, he ain't got the horse anymore. So it turns into a two-on-one with a late closer. And it just at that point, it's academic. And that's the counter-attack offense that the Devils used to run because they would they would pick you apart in the neutral zone. And they work it to perfection. Like, that's... That's the thing. You have to be so disciplined with the aisles that you have to play boring against them or you got to get a lead early on them to kind of break them out of that and force them to play up and down hockey. We've seen the Rangers do that to them a few times this year where they get a they get a lead and suddenly the Islanders got to be like, oh, crap, we got to we got to break out of our shell and try to push the pace. And Isles, they've got guys that can do it. Barzal can do it. But, you know, the rest of that team, they're meant to play structured defensively and it works great for them. And that's what makes them a dangerous team to get in the playoffs. We saw it last year. Yeah, you know, everybody's like, I don't know, this Isles, this Isles team doesn't really impress me. It's like, well, it's the playoffs. The rule book changes in the playoffs, and it works to their benefit too. So, um, but I mean, Buffalo. I mean, man, you know, listen, I would, I would much rather have had them deal with like a Pittsburgh or even the Rangers coming out of a, coming hey, out of a. Yeah, easy on the Rangers there, huh? No, no, no. That, that, that's just <laughs> it, it's it's a better pace of play for them. I understand, like, man. That, you know, it, it's not not them being. Bad. I can't talk any crap on Buffalo being bad. They're the worst in the division right now. So, but I mean, just from a pace of play perspective, those are the teams you'd rather deal with coming out of that as opposed to the, the freaking Islanders. Oh my God, no, you're you're asking to get smothered. They, but the thing is, Sabres fans are fed up. 
They are fed up beyond belief and coming out and just getting manhandled like that two games in a row. Fans are just like, forget this. We waited two weeks to watch this. Man, yeah. who cares? Who cares? When does Bill's season start? Wow, man. The pain runs deep in Buffalo. It, you know, the Alice- dude, it's, it's like gallows humor t- times a thousand. <laughs> like, Lee's fans used to be perfect at gallows humor. Ottawa fans are really good at it now. But Buffalo fans are like, we had gallows humor three years ago. Now it's just straight gallows. They're just like, forget it. We are we are sick of this crap. Jack's going to want to trade. All these guys are going to want to get out. Like, it, it, the end's coming. The end is nigh, even though the end's never been over here. That sounds like the Ranger fans here down, uh, down the lower, <laughs> lower part of the state. You know, the Islanders, like, I want to talk about, you know, with, with the, the Sabres uh, fans, uh, you know, uh, frustration here. I mean, the Islanders have, Trotz has got a system. You know, they, they score early, two goals in both first periods of both of those games. And like you were saying, once they get that lead, man, it's it's lights out. They hunker down. Um, you know, Sorokin and, and Volamov here, they're settling in, so and they're, they're great from the net out. And then they've got, you know, Barzell basically just goes out there and distracts everybody. Nobody hits him, and he does 360s and stuff. And, you can't know, hit what you can't catch. Yeah, That's it's just, thing. well, I mean, I joke around. I say if Scott Stevens was still in the league, he'd put him in the hospital by now. But same thing with McDavid. But anyway, I digress. But, um, you know, when I when I look at, like, teams and, like, you know, when I'm, I'm covering the Rangers here and commenting on the Rangers, there, there's a system that you're looking for. Uh, obviously, uh, you haven't played in two weeks, but from the games before the pause – to the two games you played this week, um, and I know it's not much to really go on, Joe, but yeah. is there a possible way to, to – does Kruger have a style here? Is uh, I know there's certain guys out of the alignment. Talk a little bit about how he's dealing with that, and is there if there's any positive signs with the with anything that Kruger and this, this crew of talented guys – there's some talented guys in this team um, that you can see. To Any positive stuff you can take from it? Well, Kruger does have a system. This isn't a team kind of floating in the ocean without without direction here. They do have a system. And I mean, it's over just, 20 it's, shots per game is not too bad. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, quality is another story. <laughs> yeah, the shot quality is lacking. It's a lot of shots from the blue line, that, and most of them aren't getting through. Um, but the, the system is extremely defensive, and it's built that way because the team has been so poor defensively the last forever before Ralph got here that – they had to try to improve things from the back end out because that was the only way that that was going to keep them closer in some of these games because, you know, they, they, you know, they had horses that could run when Phil Housley was coaching them. I mean, you know, you kind of let Jack roll, you know, Skinner goes and scores 40 goals, um, you know, a couple of years ago. And it was just, they were able to do things like that. But the problem was they was that they were so porous defensively because Phil wanted to push and he wanted his defenseman to jump into the play. He wanted to, he wanted to attack with four, Always. And that's good if you've got the guys that you can pull it off with. The problem was the, the rest of the lineup didn't have enough of that. But he tried to do it throughout the entire lineup, which I respect, but it wasn't the right call for, for the group that they have. Now the team's a little bit different and they still need to kind of buckle. They still need to buckle down defensively because the defenseman, you know, McCabe's gotten better. You know, you've got some young guys in Yoki Haru and Darlene. You've got Ristolainen, who, you know, will probably be there, will probably retire a Sabre at this point. And, you know, you've got Colin Miller and these other guys, but um, but you've got questionable goaltending. And as long as you've got the D being tough and limiting the quality chances against, then they're doing their job there. The problem is, is that the offense isn't allowed that freedom to kind of push. The only ones that can really do it is Eichel. And whether he's got the guys that can, that can keep up with him and run with him, they're they're caught in a spot. It, 
the, the Sabres problem is that they're always caught in a spot, you know, in, in an in-between stage. Like they can't go full out aggressive because they're not deep enough to do it. And they don't have the guys that, you know, they don't have horses that can run on all four lines and just just go crazy and push like mad. They don't have a strong enough defensive crew that they can allow to do that. So they have to kind of halfway tween it with everything. And they have to half double halfway it with their forward groups because they have two forward lines that really can't push it all. And you have to be really wary of what they can do defensively. So they're, they're all, all across the board. They're just halfway in between. So the only way that, that Ralph can neutralize that is to just play. All right. We're just going to have to be square defensively, limit the opportunities against hope the goaltending holds us up. And then, you know, Jack can do his thing. Hall can do his thing. You know, Skinner can get loose, maybe pop a couple here soon. You know, you got cousins, you got these guys that, you know, like as soon as the dam breaks, you're not worried about the scoring anymore. The problem is, is that all these guys are shooting unbelievably low percent just in general. I mean, Jack's got one goal, you know, Skinner has no goals and, and, you know, Hall's got one goal. I mean, these are guys that are not going to, shoot at that level for the entire season problem is their offense doesn't generate any quality at all and that's what that's the problem they're running into is that what they do offensively doesn't allow them allow those guys to have success so ralph's left with a choice either he's got to keep these guys playing this defensive hockey and trying to win two to one games which is tough because the goaltending is not holding up their end of the bargain or you can loosen up the reins a little bit, let some of these guys push, and then you run the risk of the goalies getting hung out to dry in the back end, which they've already shown they can't really hang <laughs> hang on to things with things being tight. So it, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't in, in the in, in the Sabers in the Sabers world right now, and they're just stuck. But to me, you gotta let Jack and Hall and these guys do their thing because if you're just dumping and chasing and just trying to get a cycle going against these teams, man, teams practice this every day. In practice, like they work against this every day. You do it. You go and do these basic things against them. They're going to be right there on top of it. It doesn't matter if you got Gretzky, Lemieux, and 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 Gordy Howe out there. They're going to figure out a way to stop these guys. They're too good. And Joe, on that note, you know, it's similar to, you know, I want to ask you about maybe the front office there a little bit too. And and I'm just sitting here laughing. I said, there's no way that the Rangers and the Sabers could do a, a four player trade like us sending Kreider and Strom up for like you know. Eichel and, and uh, Hall or something like that because, like I said, nobody's scoring. Um, but do you find it, you know, you, you, when you, you run, you see uh, the run and gun that, that Keefe is running there in Toronto. Montreal's mm-hmm. been able to spread out their scoring. Look what Chicago's doing with a cu- couple of big guys out there, a couple of young kids as far as their style, um, playing against tough teams, matches. All right, put Detroit aside here and there and maybe Vancouver for the Canadians and stuff. But um, And even seeing, you know, I just teams like Buffalo, the Rangers that are quote unquote on rebuilds like that. Why not let these guys loose? It's a 56 game season, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you know, we're in week five here. We're reaching the 12, 13 game plateau. You know, I really think the Rangers, maybe Quinn, maybe has six more games here. I don't think Kruger's got a, an issue with his position and his job there in, in Buffalo, mm-hmm. but something's got to give here because, you know, another three to six games. You know, especially with the Rangers playing like the Bruins and stuff, and the Islanders. I mean, that's going to be 10, 12 points behind. You're gonna mm-hmm. now you're going to be looking at six, eight points behind a playoff spot. I mean, you're basically going to be you're going to be knocked down. So I'm just kind of curious with these teams that are struggling to score, young kids. You know, why not let them loose? What are, what are these coaches afraid of? And is it because we were talking about this last on my other show? Is it really the coaching staffs and their styles, and maybe it's just the players are just 
like I said, the, the, these are professional hockey players. You know, Eichel comes from, uh, he's a high-grade player experience. You look mm-hmm. at Lafreniere here and Capo down here in, in New York, uh, Zibanejad and, and, and Kreider. These guys are pros. They've been playing for a long time. Why are they not scoring? Why are they struggling? Yeah, that's uh, I know that's, a long, that's a load of question, buddy. Sorry. Oh about that. yeah, yeah. No, but like with, with coaches though, it the thing with coaches is that it, it's always system stuff, and they're always going to do what's going to be able to help. Not necessarily their bottom line, but they're going to do what's what's going to keep them the closest in the games. Not necessarily always play into the to, to the strengths of what they have. I mean, it's you know every coach has got a system. Every coach has got you know their thing that they do. It, th- th- this is a thing where, you know, and it's impossible to, to, to compare things across sports, but I look at like, I look at how the NBA where coaches are basically there to just kind of, just kind of make a lineup and say, all right, don't screw up, Yeah, <laughs> you know, and the guys on the court will go and just, you know, play how they need to play. I mean, there's some basic setups, but like, you know, you, you see what these teams with the big stars are able to do. The, the stars basically call the plays on the floor and they set it up how they go. Yeah. Hockey. I would love every hockey game to be like a game of shinny where these guys just get out there and they just play and they just do whatever it takes and they played it. Everybody plays to their strengths. I think that would be infinitely more entertaining as opposed to saying like, nope, we're going to, you know, we're going to play this boring system. That's going to make every game a one, nothing two to one game because it's, it's the safest way to play. Hockey's about doing everything the safest way possible because mistakes, every player admits, every player will make a mistake. Everybody makes mistakes and it's about, you know, capitalizing on those mistakes so playing safe gets rid of the mistakes except the mistakes are going to happen anyways i'm of the chaotic mind where i say screw it let mistakes rule the day and let your talent take over just let let the best players be the best players instead of trying to stuff a round peg into a square hole no i i completely agree and it it baffles me you know, I mean, and this is beyond, you know, coaches got to, you know, with their system and change lines up if guys are struggling to get the puck on the net or whatever. But I think it's just a, a matter of opening up. I mean, again, it's experienced coaches. Coaches have to deal with the assets they have. Um, and like I said, we would need another three hours to overanalyze, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. every particular thing here. But, um, hey, look, you know, hopefully the, the Sabres are just try and get a little more entertaining for the fan base. And, you know, what? Yeah. I'm, I'm in, the last thing I'll do here and, and – We'll, we'll skip the, the division here as it is uh, going into the weekend because I want to. I want to. The one thing I haven't talked to you about yet, and, and through all of this, is ownership um, as far as Pagula and you know. Because um, when you say when you hear the fans, when you get you anything like that, Eichel's going to leave or this like that. I mean, this has been an unfortunate trend here in Buffalo for a long time, mm-hmm. and. Just the thought of that happening. And I know it's a common thing in sports now. It's happened in the NHL. Guys are not happy. They're going to leave. They look for a trade. It's happened in NBA. Mm-hmm. Happened in MLB. And the money in baseball is just insane. Crazy. Yeah. So where where is, is Pagula been quiet up there? Or is, you know, is he pretty much hands off? Anything in the paper and news about him and the team? Uh, even though, you know, they've been uh, off these last couple of weeks. Just any little take on Pagula that, they've, that he may have said? Or was he just too involved with the Bills here? Recently. Uh, well, it's the Bills, and also their daughter just made it to the quarterfinals of the Australian Open, so they oh, were uh, very nice. So they were a little bit, uh, they were a little bit um, tied up with that, and you know, <laughs> just to kind of wrap a bow on what it means to the Sabers. Uh, Sabertooth, the, the Sabers mascot, tweeted out a photo before before Jesse Pagula had her match with uh, Jen. I think it's Jen Brady uh, the other night, uh, saying, you know, you know, good luck, Jesse, and it was, you know 
maybe an hour before the match started, and then Jesse Pagula loses immediately, like almost immediately. <laughs> I was like, you know, may, you know, I, maybe the Sabers aren't at the point where everything they touch turns to crap, but well, it's it's not helping the evidence. But uh, but ownership's been been really quiet, and I, th- you know, it, which leads to speculation, which everybody in Pagula Sports hates speculation because it just you know idle minds idle minds create thoughts and create discussion points. And, and in this case, the, the one, the one that I buy into with them is that they were able to catch lightning in a bottle with Sean McDermott and, and Bean uh, with the, the GM and coach thing with, with Buffalo. Those guys do as much as they can to, to tune out what ownership wants to do and to, and to just kind of guide the, guide the bills along as much as they can and do things their way. And it seems to work out pretty damn well. <laughs> um <laughs> And I think the Pagulas want to try to do the same thing on the hockey side of things with, you know, which they started doing with Kruger. And obviously after they fired Jason Bottrell and kept Kruger, they brought in their own guy in Kevin Adams, who, you know, worked at the Harbor Center and was, you know, was one of the was like one of the coaches in the in the academy program uh, they have over here and, you know, ra- you know, ran things over on that side, of, that side of operations. So they're trying to home grow their own stuff in that because they don't trust the advice they've gotten from NHL people as to who to hire. Now, mm-hmm. my argument there is that the people that they've hired over the past year, I don't think you would find literally anybody who would have argued with any of those choices. You know, when they hired Dan Bilesma, they tried for Mike Babcock and fell short there. Bilesma was the number two guy of all the coaching candidates that summer that if you're going to hire a guy, that's the guy you go get. Well, they got him and it didn't work. And OK, fair. Then, you know, they fired him. Uh, you know, they fired, you know, fired Tim Murray, hired J- Jason Bottrell, who they interviewed back in 2014 when Tim Murray was hired. Um, so they went back to that and said, all right, well, Jason Bottrell is a guy that everybody talks about should be the next, you know, should be a GM eventually because of all the success in Pittsburgh, well, they hired him, didn't work. They hired, uh, Phil Housley, who everybody thought after Nashville's run to the cup final, everybody thought, well, Phil's got to be a coach here at some point made sense for Buffalo. He was, you know, he was, you know, a fantastic player in Buffalo and a guy that that's tied to their history in an, in an unbelievable way. They figured, well, this makes all the sense in the world. Let's bring him in. Well, that didn't work. So they figured that the any that the NHL recommendations they were getting was was what was letting them down. They said, forget it. We're not listening to anybody. We're going to do this ourselves, which, hey, your ownership, you have five billion dollars. You can do whatever the hell you want to do with your money. That's fine. But they've kept everything in house. You know, they cleared. You know, the first thing they made Kevin Adams do after they hired him was fire all the scouts and the, and the, you know, development coaches. And, you know, that was the first thing he did. His, his first job wasn't going out and finding players and everything. It was firing staff, which is craziness to me. Yeah. But, um, but, but their idea is that they're going to try to catch lightning in a bottle again from the management side of things. The problem is that Pagulas seem to have their hands in on the Sabres a lot more than they do with the bills. I mean, this is, you know, it's based on just how it looks from the outside. This isn't, this isn't really based on internal knowledge, but, um, but right now, with their with their hands on a lot of things, I mean, their history with that isn't very good. I mean, you know that that goes back to signing Billy Leno. That's you know signing Christian Ehrhoff to a ten year contract, which you know, I mean, hey, maybe that would have worked out if it wasn't a ten year contract. But you know, if they signed him to like you know a five year you know five years forty million or something like that, okay, fine, you can eat that. But it, you know, their, their decisions on picking players and whatnot, I mean. It, it's a struggle and some of their choices in the past have not been very good at all. And, you know, you know, who's, who's going to tell the emperor he's got no clothes on. Nobody in Buffalo is going to do that now. You know, there, there's, they don't have anybody in place that's going to be able to tell him no. And I think that's kind of what they need on the hockey side. I know on the football side, McDermott and Bean and those guys are very able to, to either 
tell them no straight out or say things to them in a way that it sounds like they're saying yes, but it's actually no. Like, hey, you know what, Terry? That's a really great idea. We'll look into that. As soon as he walks out of the room, like, we ain't doing that. You know, like, that's <laughs> that's the kind of stuff. That's what you need to do. You cannot be you cannot manage a team and just be a complete owner. Yes, man. And just say, yep. OK, yeah, we'll get that done. We'll do that. That's how you end up trading Ryan O'Reilly away for for a bucket of parts. That's how you end up making bad choices in the draft. That's how you end up doing all sorts of bad things that lead your team down a dark hole, which, hey, look, the Sabres are in a deep, dark hole right now. So what you need is somebody who's in in an authoritative enough position to be able to to be able to say, like, hey, listen, yeah, we'll look into that. We'll do what we can. And then just be able to say, like, yeah, you know, it's better. What's the what's the old phrase that used to be told? It's always easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And that's what they need for somebody in the Sabres in that Sabres GM role. Or if they ever do a president of hockey ops role, have that person be the guy to deal with that. That's where like a situation where if you had a guy like Brian Burke come into Buffalo, boy, I would I would love I would, I would have loved to have seen how that would have worked to have Brian Burke tell the Pagulas like, are you guys out of your freaking minds? We're not doing that. Like, we're not doing what you said. We're going to do this other thing instead that might work a little bit better than your your half cocked idea. Oh man, Joe, listen to that. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's not it's not it's it not simple. From everything, it looks bad. But it, it, it definitely explains to me why uh, alcohol sales in Buffalo are very high. <laughs> no fall in Sabres hockey. It's it's the best thing to happen to the beer, to the to the beer supply in the city. Oh, buddy. Great stuff as always. Uh, look, man, thanks so much. Have a great, safe weekend. Relax from that vaccine, and uh, can't wait to do this again with you next week. And, man, hopefully we get some wins in the win column for the Sabres. Buddy, have a great weekend. Hey, Take you care. got it, Paulie. Take care, man. <laughs> All right. Joe Yurden, everybody. Always a great time. Follow Joe at Joe Yurden on the Twitter. Woo! Tough times in Buffalo. All right. THS is rolling on. All right, it's time to head up north, the great white north, for some time, some ice time, with the coach, Coach Costa Pavelius. How you doing, buddy? And happy Friday, pal, right here on THS. Oh, yeah. That's the way I want to spend my birthday, on THS. (laughs) There's no better way, brother, no better way. Look, man, we, unfortunately, because of social distancing, we couldn't throw you a big-ass THS Costa birthday party. I'm sorry, pal. It's all good, man. I can't drink anyway, so it's all good. <laughs> all right. It was, in, it was in the works, you know. We, you were on uh, our yeah. mind, but uh, it's all good. Well, well, what are you doing this week, man? Uh, I mean, birthday week and, and, and no Canadians hockey, brother. I mean, and, you, and you're not drinking, so, man, it's cold and can't go I'm- anywhere. Whoa, are you okay, buddy? Oh, absolutely. I'm catching up on this thing called sleep that I don't get much of. So, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's been an interesting week. I, I can tell you this much. I've been watching the Leafs and having a good giggle. Yes, the Leafs do. And I know that, I know that pains it's you been, last uh, week when I, fun- when I put out that, you know, you talking about Keith and stuff. I know it pains you to talk about anything to do with the Leafs, but you know, you're a pro. It, yeah, well, you know, it, it is what it is, right? I mean, you can't say halves without saying leaves. I mean, because it's been like that for God knows how many years since this league was put together, right? But, you know, watching the Leafs, there's such a heckle and, heckle and high team, it drives me nuts. I mean, you look at them, 
you know, they, they've got they've got a big lead on the Ottawa Senators. All of a sudden, the third period, that's long gone. They lose in overtime. Then you look at them the next time they play the Senators and a 2-1 win. But you've got so much firepower. Why is it 2-1? And then you think about it, right? You know, like you and I have been talking about this team needs more defense. Case in point, considering they lost to Ottawa, you need more defense because you're allowing too many goals. And then, lo and behold, they go out and they go get Alex Galchenyuk, which totally blows my mind. <laughs> so, you know, and I put out a tweet about that going like, okay, this is Kyle looking at analytics and going, okay, this guy would be a good fit on our team because his numbers work. But hockey-wise and personality-wise, Alex Galchenyuk, that's his biggest problem. That's why he bounces around because he doesn't fit anywhere. You know, and so you're, you're bringing another problem into the fold when you don't need one because, you know, right now you're at the top of the uh, I'm freezing my butt off division. <laughs> and you don't need any help offensively. You need help defensively. I'm not getting it. I don't understand. I mean, I tell you, I guess it's going to be interesting. Um, do, do you remember when the when is the trade deadline this this season with the the compact season? Oh I man, mean, I don't know. So all right, so we both don't know, and we really don't care at this point. No, but um, you wonder you wonder what's going to happen down the road when you talk about certain deficiencies on a on a on a team like the Leafs and. You know what they're going to do, and, and and wondering who's going to be sellers here towards the end of this. Uh, you know that's going to be interesting the trade deadline because you know maybe a lot of teams in development like or that are just down at the bottom here are just going to sit tight and chill uh, because there's nothing they can do about it anyway. And then you, you know you see teams like the Leafs that might be clamoring for defensive help, especially if they're rolling and they've got to deal with you know the halves and you guys at the top of the division. And if Edmonton keeps turning things around and if Vancouver gets their act together, and you know Winnipeg's going to be tough too. Uh, I mean, a- any of those top four, six teams in the division during trade time is going to be uh, going to be interesting, pal. Well, trade time is going to be tough too because considering it's a hard cap of eighty-one point five mil, and you're carrying extra bodies already because of your taxi squad. I mean that that that, that right. trade deadline. I mean that that probably be the quietest trade deadline in NHL history. I don't see bodies moving all that much. Some of the teams that are bottom dwellers might be looking to jettison some salary or whatever the case may be, but there's nobody with a lot of room. Even the Habs don't have a lot of room anymore. They use that all up to go out and get guys like Tyler Toffoli and you know trade for Josh Anderson and stuff like that. And they've added to their lineup and added to the cap. But now other teams don't have that cap space. They're right up against it. So you yeah. know if you look at the contenders, you look at the Leafs, you look at Tampa. You know all these teams that are contending for a cup. They're right up against the cap. And then you're looking at other teams like Pittsburgh, for example, who just put uh, Ron Hextall in as the GM. He's still trying to get used to what his team looked like. So I don't know how much he's going to move. So it's it's going to be weird, man. I can tell you that much. Yeah, no doubt about it. So speaking of weird, you guys are holding at 9-4-2, second in the division, eighth in the league, uh, currently on a six-day break. I believe you last week you said they were going down to Daytona for spring break. Um, uh, they, <laughs> yeah, uh, they're off now until Saturday uh, against the Leafs at home. Uh, the last couple of games when we spoke last week, uh, split with the Leafs and a loss to the Oilers. Um, Price Allen uh, split the three games. Um, what, has there been any chatter here uh, during the break, what they're doing, practicing, anything you hear? Um, I know you were talking about changes there. Maybe you could talk a little bit on that last game Thursday night against Edmonton as far as the lines and uh, the goaltendings. And, you know, after this weekend, you know, with the Leafs, you got seven games coming up, and uh, bulk of those are basically against the Senators and the Jets. So talk about what's happening and, and what do you look forward to next week. Well, I can tell you this much, that the whole Jake Allen, Carey Price situation is starting to freak a lot of people out, given the fact that Jake Allen is playing so well. But, you know, I brought this up before when it comes to a guy like Carey Price, the more rubber he sees, the better he plays. You know, so if if you're going to play him one game and then sit him the next, you're not going to get any any consistency out of him. 
And, you know, I, as a former goalie myself, one of the tough parts about, about being in goal is being able to track the puck. And that in and of itself is the biggest problem that Carey Price is having right now. You know, with all the signage that you see in the rinks and the different colors, and, you know, they're trying to make it look good on screen, but it's not, you know. So uh, it, it's just difficult, you know, and for him to pick up the puck right now. And so Jake Allen's having a better time doing that. Uh, and so that's where you're getting this controversy in this town. And, you know, the, the minute you hear goaltending controversy, everybody loses their minds and goes back 25 years to carry uh, to uh, Patrick Awa. You know, that's pretty much what you get. So, you know, it is what it is, but I don't think there's going to be too much there as far as, you know, Perry Carey Price is going to find his game for sure. And when you look at the changes up front, I mean, they've got to get, like we've talked about nonstop, Philip Deneau has to get on board. You know, he's got to do something. And I think the fact that the Habs, you know, put Paul Byron on waivers to move him down in order to bring up Michael Froelich pretty much falls into what we talked about as far as that change is concerned, getting a guy in there that can play defensive hockey and cover on the PK like Froelich can, while Dano takes a look from the press box because the guy's game needs it. He needs to see what's going on. He needs to understand what's going on. Yeah, and uh, right now, point about Dan- that, you know, as, as far yeah. as him getting it, – it's it's – you know, looking, looking, and this is your coaching background too. You know, having a guy study the game a little bit before you kind of throw him into the mix a little more. No, well, absolutely. I mean, it, it, you know, it goes for any player. It doesn't matter if you're coaching in the minor level or, or you know, at the pro level. Sometimes a guy will just lose his game. I mean, you know, and has a hard time finding it. I mean, in talking about Paul Byron, you're talking about here's a guy who got injured a year and a half ago. And he hasn't come back from that. His speed isn't what, quite what it used to be, and he's not as aggressive as he used to be, right? You see him on the perimeter a lot more, whereas Byron's game was about getting in there fast, picking up the puck, and then moving it to somebody or taking a shot from a slot because he was able to get his, I, 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 you know, get away from his check or just flat out on the PK getting a breakaway from his own bloody blue line. He hasn't been able to do that. It's not there anymore. So I can understand the change. And then when you look at a guy like Froelich, Froelich and Dano are, are, are like 1A and 1B as far as I'm concerned in the organization as far as defensive hockey players are. Michael Froelich, granted, he's a little bit long, like longer in the tooth and, you know, he's not as, as, as quick as he used to be when he was young. But the thing about Froelich is he's still got a, a, you know, a good head on his shoulders and he can play the defensive game as well as anybody in this league. So to have the luxury of a guy like that on your taxi squad is something that not a lot of teams have, and it goes again to the depth that the Habs have right now. So as long as they can get him in the lineup, give Deno a chance to look from up top to see what might be missing from his game. And look, don't put him in the press box alone. The best thing you could do is put him up there with another coach or development coach. You know, they've got guys in this organization like uh, former NHL or Sebastian Bordolo who played for the Habs and the Predators. I mean, he's another guy who played center killed penalties he'd be the perfect guy to sit up there with the no just to throw ideas back and forth and you know during the game and then this way then could kind of get a couple things in his mind and see where he can augment his game but yeah, whether no. they do that or not it remains to be seen and you know with the last uh five games here the the eight goals in the five games and obviously you know we joked around you guys uh putting a big uh you know scoring games against the canucks and everything and in the beginning of the first three four weeks here obviously the spreading the scoring around you know in 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 in, in regards to what you're saying right now here too, and I know you've been kind of curious in, in terms of some of the changes and the moves that uh, Julian's either making or not making. Um, is there, you know, are you concerned about um, something that Julian's doing? Cause I know you were mentioning like, you know, why, why would you change that? And, and the reason I'm bringing this up too, is it refers to a couple of the teams too. Some teams can't, 
are struggling to find their systems. You know, if you look at what's going on, say, down here uh, on Long Island, you know, Trotz just has the Islanders. They're just in a mold. They go out, they get those one, two quick goals, and that's it, and they just shut it down, you know? Right. Um, you know, the, talk about maybe Montreal a little bit in terms of, uh, you know, did Julian – I know we've said this, but do you think it's going to swing back? Do you think Julian has the potential to swing back to the system that you like he was playing in the beginning of the season? Well, here's the, here's the, the ultimate question, right? When you look at trots like you were talking about in the Islanders, right, that team has an identity. That team goes – for lack of a better term, balls out to start the game, gets a couple of goals, and then, like you said, they lock it down. What's Montreal's identity? Because right now they've got none. You don't know what style you're going to get game in, game out from Montreal Canadiens. You know, if Montreal takes advantage of the speed that they have and the, and, and, and the outside talent to be able to move the puck around and take advantage of the mid-ice lane, they'll be able to win games. And that should be this team. This team should be a transition hockey team because of the amount of speed that they have and the ability they have to move the puck from their back end, up front, in the blink of an eye. But can you honestly tell me, Paul, that the Habs are a transition hockey team? Because I don't see it. You know, if, if you're going to tell me that the Habs are a puck possession team, I don't see that either because they don't carry the puck into the offensive zone. They don't establish themselves in the offensive zone. They don't move enough in the offensive zone to say that they're a puck possession team. So what are they? They're an up-and-down team? They're a north-south team? Okay, you just described another 30 teams in the national hockey league <laughs> means nothing a team in order for it to be successful has to have an identity and a style of play that is uniquely theirs and not vary from that you can vary the components you can change the players but you can't change the identity of the team because once you do that you're lost and right now as it stands Cole Julien is lost he does not know what to do with this team hmm. if he reestablishes the identity and the style of play then the, the team can move forward from there but until you've established that, the team's going to sit in limbo and not understand what they're expected to do. And that can be disastrous. Yeah, that's not it's not a good time for them to do that, pal. Especially, uh, like I said, with the Leafs, uh, the way they're playing. And, and it looks like uh, Edmonton, I want to talk about the Oilers here a little bit. And the, the Jets are playing good. And um, I also wanted to ask you if, if there's, you know, seeing Ottawa here uh, over the last uh, week here, if there's any hope for these guys. But um so if that happens with the with the Habs here, let's let's talk about you know uh, McDavid and, and the Oilers here four and one in the last five. They they found a little gas here. Um, you know two wins with Calgary. Um, uh, you know playing good. They're splitting their goalies a little bit there with uh, Smith and uh, Koskinen and everything else. I mean, um, the Oilers basically just go the way Drysaddle and McDavid go, or, or do you see these guys um, maybe possibly, you know showing a little more something, a little more maturity here where maybe, you know, Toronto has to start looking behind them here and the Montreal has to be concerned and, and then Winnipeg bringing up the rear gear there and for the fourth uh, spot here in the division. Everybody has to be concerned about the Edmonton Oilers because it, it won't take much for that team to get it going. You know, defensively, they're starting to get it together and that's the part that you worry about. You brought that and up. Getting, yeah. yeah, and bringing, getting Mike Smith back was a huge part of that. His ability to move the puck up to the forwards – that you know, it, it 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 it's it's unique as far as his style is concerned. He doesn't he doesn't have to set up quickly in the back behind the net to move it. He'll come out and he'll play it before you even blink. And then you look at up front. You know, you got you, you've got the Nugent Hopkins. You've got the Dry Sidles. You've got you know you've got McDavid. You know, it, it's there's speed to burn in transition. And that's kind of what I was talking about with the Habs. The ability to move that puck up to their forwards and allow the 
forwards to do what they do in transition is key for Edmonton's success. So as long as they play well defensively, and we're not talking that they don't have to be, you know, you know, full, full, uh, full blown uh, puck stoppers here. You know, if they allow a goal or two, they've got the firepower up front to score four or five on any given night. As long as that team can score three, they can win every game of this of this season. The problem is they haven't been able to keep the puck out. They've done that recently. That's why they've seen success moving forward. If it continues, this entire league's in trouble. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think the I think the league as a whole would love to see uh, Edmonton, you know, jack it up here a little bit and just make it a little hotter I'm, up top. I'm, I'm, I know you I'm, probably I'm don't. Of, I'm, <laughs> I, I do actually. You know that I, I enjoy the competition. If yeah. there's one thing about, you know, and, and this is one thing about the division that we have up here in Canada that I'm enjoying the most is the fact that you're seeing everybody all the time, whether it's east, west, it doesn't matter, yeah. you know, so that you got that variance. And it's not something you see all the time because, you know, where we play the Western teams, what, twice a year, once at home, once away. Yeah. Now you're getting five, six, seven games against them. It's fun, man. And, and you know, and you're getting to really see the difference between West Coast hockey and East Coast hockey. And there's a difference. There always has been. So, and, you know, it's, it, and explain, it's whether or not explain to us on the lower 49th, what's the difference between West Coast Canadian hockey and East Coast Canadian? The biggest thing it doesn't it's not just Canadian hockey, though, Paul. It's it's just if you split North America down the middle and you look. So you're east talking and west, about everybody in the, in the league there, West Coast and East Coast. Every, you're every, not just talking everybody. about what you're seeing in the Canadian division. No, no, not at all. I mean, you can, I can even tell you this from the junior hockey perspective, too. You know, there's no doubt that the Western Hockey League up here in Canada is the most physical of all, all three junior leagues. Gotcha. And that in and of itself, it shows when you look at teams going down the list, whether you're looking at Anaheim, whether you're looking at San Jose, you're looking at, uh, you know, Colorado to a certain extent. You know, all these teams that are in the Western Conference, they play a much more physical style of game despite the fact that they're generating offense. And against teams in the East where you're not seeing as much contact, that plays very well. That's why for a while in the NHL – there were a bunch of Western teams that weren't in the cup or were contending and were expected to win the cup. But, you know, at the end of the day, whether it was Vancouver, you know, absolutely blowing their load against the Bruins that year or whatever the case may be, the Western teams that play that physical brand of hockey and can bring offense, they'll have success. You saw it with the Anaheim Ducks. You know, it, it's 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 Western brand hockey. It's not Eastern. You don't see that in the East. Yeah. You know, Tampa doesn't play that way. Florida doesn't play that way. The closest thing you got in the East to hockey like that might be the Chicago Blackhawks. You know, so yeah. there's a variance there as far as the style of play that's playing the East and West. And whether it's because of the, the you know, the travel or whatever the case may be. I enjoy West West Coast hockey. I enjoy the whole, you know, be physical and, you know, play with speed. You don't see that in the East. That's why, you know, on Saturday nights when we got Hockey Night in Canada, I'm watching the West Coast game at 10 o'clock because, holy hell, I get to watch those games all the time and it's fun. Yeah. And whether it's I'm watching Calgary, Alberta, uh, Calgary against Edmonton, or I'm watching Vancouver play against somebody like Anaheim or San Jose, it's fun hockey to watch. Yeah, no, I agree with you, man. Just listening to you, um, I'm thinking back to the um, the old Western Conference uh, series there, whether it was the, you know, I remember the Kings and the Blackhawks just killing each other out there. Oh, yeah. You know? I mean, no, just yeah. and if you go for the, go for Preds, the, back the and... Avalanche, those, those old Western series games, from the past, you know, even the Wings uh, in their heyday in the 90s against the Avalanche and stuff, and just brutal hockey, man, just to get out. The old Smythe division, man, the old Smythe division, where you look at St. Louis playing Detroit or, you know, uh, Chicago playing Detroit, or for that matter, the Leafs were in the West Co- uh, Western Conference for a while, and when yep. they played Detroit and Chicago, they used to try to kill each other on the ice. Yeah, That's the kind of hockey I miss because we don't see it anymore. I know. 
That's uh, you know, I mean, like I said, you you turned seventy six today. I'm seventy eight, so <laughs> <laughs> that's our brand of hockey, buddy. <laughs> oh man, one last quick thing before I let you go. Um, the 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 Sens. Is there any hope for them here? I mean, uh, two wins versus the Jets and the Leafs. Obviously, a loss to the Leafs last night, um, and they got them again here tonight. But uh, any hope for the Senator fans here? Look, I, yeah, we we said this early on. I don't expect much from the Senators this year, but I think DJ Smith is doing a good job establishing that team's identity for you know, like I was talking about before. Right now, what they're working on is their defensive game, and so if they can keep their goals down to a minimum, it'll give them the opportunity to win. So if they're allowing one or two, you know what? They'll get a tie here and there. You know, they'll win a hockey game. So once once that's established and he gets that done then he can work on his offense because he'll have step one taken care of. Step two is getting the puck in the net. And so, you know, they can augment and, you know, it'll give a chance to the, the, the uh, general manager, uh, Pierre Dorian, to find a little bit more offensive front because right now they're very young. But, you know, they've got Brady Kachuk and, you know, they've got uh, Logan Brown and uh, some good young offensive players there. You augment that with a veteran or two that could show them the way. And that team inside of, you know, a year, maybe 18 months might be able to switch it around and actually be a lot better than they are right now. But I'm impressed with the coaching DJ Smith has done so far. Good stuff. So you're giving them a little uh, a little bit of hope there in uh, Ottawa. That's good stuff, man. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, you got to because it, it's, 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 it's good hockey. You watch them play and, you know, they're structured. And that key component, if you're, again, going back to, you know, Julian not knowing what he's doing right now and DJ Smith, you put the two of them together, I'm telling you, DJ Smith's winning the hockey game because his team is much more structured than the Habs are right now. Oh, man. My God, you're not the GM in Montreal, man. Woo! Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> so one last thing before I let you go, Costin, I might start doing this with you every week now. Um, any sympathy for my New York Rangers? I've always got sympathy for the Rags, dude. Oh. They they wear the they wear the same colors the Habs do, so you know you gotta have some love for them. You're not gonna give and me a dig. You're rain- not gonna wish them worse. No, no, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Number one, because you and I are friends. I wouldn't do that to you. Come on, I actually like you, Paul. <laughs> uh, one of the few, my friend. One of the few. Uh, you're the best, Costa. Yeah, All right, man. Yeah, look, man. enjoy the rest of your birthday. Uh, happy and healthy, man. And best to everybody up there in the north and uh, your family and everything. And have a great weekend. And uh, look forward to doing this again with you. See you on the Twitter, bud. You got it, brother. All right. Costa Papalias, ladies and gentlemen, talking some Canadian division and the Montreal Canadiens right here on THS as we continue to roll up. All right. Now it's time to head out to the great city of Chicago and bring back our good friend, Mr. Tab Bamford. We'll talk some Central Division hockey, as well as them hot Chicago Blackhawks, baby. I don't know. I think Tab, you're some you're some pretty damn good luck here on THS for your Hawks, buddy. How you doing? Oh, I am surviving the winter in uh, the greater Chicagoland area. But yeah, I mean, if if all we have to do is bury the Blackhawks in proverbial snow before the season starts. Uh, only to have them surprise the world and be playing like this. Hey, we'll we'll get those shovels out a lot easier than the front yard. <laughs> I don't know. I hope that ends soon. Maybe before St. Patrick's Day, man. Uh, not that there's going to be any parades this year, but um, yeah, man. Look, you know, you've been uh, we've been talking about it here every week, and you've been talking about their excitement, and you know, I think you know a lot of us have been waiting for the uh, the Hawks to drop and 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 
fault are off here with all, all the different things. But here they are, 18 games played, 9-5-4, and four, 22 points. Second in the division, fourth in the league. Um, swept the uh, the wings this week. Um, you know, DeBrincat keeps scoring. Uh, Kurosev there the other night in the 2-0 win. Uh, Lankin in here, another shutout. Uh, he's 6-1 uh, and one in his last seven. Uh, a wild couple of games there with CBJ when we talked last week with the split. And um, they've got back-to-back games with the Canes this weekend. Should be some great stuff, a great test for them uh, before they get back at it with uh, CBJ and the Wings next week. So, Tab, man, talk about what you're seeing here. I mean, every week it's just some good stuff. I got nothing nothing for you to complain about, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, when we started talking, you know, we're looking at a 0-3-1 start, wondering what the sweet hell's going on, uh, if they're ever going to – not allow five goals in a game again. Uh, and, you know, I think even though they gave up five goals in the fourth game of the season at Florida, you saw enough from Kevin Lankin in his first start that you were intrigued. And, you know, I think it, it benefited the Blackhawks to go th- to start the year with Tampa and Florida. I think two of the teams that we've talked about consistently being playoff teams in this division. Um, but, Lankinen has grabbed the net and not given it away. And to his credit, you know, after those four games in Florida, they came home and got Detroit, which I think everyone benefits from playing the Red Wings or Senators right now because, <laughs> you know, when, when, when the coals are hot, the dumpster is still warm. So, um, so they kind of they flipped the switch there. And then, you know, I think you look back at the end of January there and they go to Nashville they lose two games in overtime, one in a shootout. And since then, they have rolled. I mean, they've won seven of their last nine. Uh, since the three awful, ugly losses to start the year, there are only two games in their last 15 that they don't have a point in. Uh, one was the 6-5 loss, the late loss at home to Columbus. And the other was another loss at home to Columbus 2-1. to one. And Lankin had played his tail off in that one. Yeah. So, you know, the young defense continues to gel. Lankinen continues to look like a legit number one. Uh, and, uh, and the offense is getting him enough. You know, I, I don't think if you watch those two games in Detroit, you're happy about the way that they performed. Uh, going to overtime in one was less than ideal and only winning the second one 2 to nothing. I will say this, Bernier played out of his flipping mind last night, though. That game could have easily been 4-5 or five yeah. for the Blackhawks. But Bernier played a game that I think has frustrated fans of his and the teams that he's been with over the last, whatever, six, seven years. That was the Bernier that people see and they want to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they don't get that consistently enough from him. But he played out of his mind last night. That was a... Marvelous performance from him, but Lankin in first career shutout. So kudos to him and his second career assist. Yeah. So <laughs> you know, I was joking earlier today that uh, with two assists through uh, 18 games, he may be on a similar point trajectory to what Alex Nylander might have been if he were healthy. <laughs> so talk about Lankin a little bit. Uh, compare him to maybe uh, what's his style? I haven't gotten a chance to watch him too much, but what's his style? Is there another, maybe a, a guy from years past or another Chicago uh, goaltender, maybe Crawford or something, but uh, talk about his style, his, the way he plays uh, his setup and net, the way he sees the game uh, working around his defensive core and stuff. And obviously his, uh, his mental and physical preparation. 
Um, because like I said, he's, he's very impressive, but for those of us who aren't watching him game in and game out, is there, is there, is there style of goaltending or maybe another form of goaltender that you can maybe, you know, compare him to? I mean, when you watch him play on the ice, um, it's very easy, I think, for Blackhawks fans to look at him and see some similarities to Corey Crawford. Um, very fundamentally sound, uh, does a good job of, uh, I think he, he may be better at playing the puck than Crawford was early in his career. Um, and, then, you know, when you look at the road that Crawford took to eventually taking the net in Chicago, it wasn't handed to him for a few years. I mean, they brought in guys like Marty Turco and Ray Emery um, to force Crawford to really be the one guy. And he had to win it. Uh, Lankinen, I think, has uh, walked into a situation where it was open competition for three guys, but he certainly didn't have anything handed to him. Subban had more NHL experience. Dalia even had more NHL experience. Um, but, you know, Lankinen was a guy who was an all-star in the AHL last year and has come in and been marvelous. One of the things that the, the skaters in front of him have talked about is that he's very talkative, uh, a very good communicator back there. He's, he's quarterbacking what the defense does very well. And so, you know, when you've got a young team, uh, and you've got, you know, with guys missing for COVID and injuries, Connor Murphy's been out for a while. It looks like he's going to miss another week and a half or so. When you've got some moving pieces, especially on the blue line, and younger guys, uh, you know, they've had, you know, Adam Boquist just came back from having COVID. Lucas Carlson's a young player. Obviously, Ian Mitchell and Nicholas Baudin are both in their first NHL seasons. When you've got even veterans like Duncan Keith out there, when you've got another voice in the back, and you've got one in net that's kind of directing the traffic, it certainly helps those young guys to know where they should be, helps them catch their assignments, and having someone that's watching kind of the play develop around them uh, certainly helps those young guys in front of them. So, you know, the fact that he's communicating well, the fact that he's been really strong with the fundamentals and has been more willing, I think that first game in Florida, you know, he had questioned, there were a couple times that you could tell that, he wasn't sure if it was appropriate or his time to pop out of the net and go play the puck. And since then, he's confidently just gone and gotten it when he needed to also. Uh, last night, there was one situation where he, he lost the net a little bit, and Lucas Carlson had a terrific block shot on a wide-open cage to save what would have been a tying goal. But very rarely is he out of position. Uh, and I think that that communication, when you hear about that, it gives you a lot of confidence in the young guy. Um, and that's something, again, that, that has not lacked for Lankin in this year, confidence. So you hear the coaches talk about that constantly. The kid believes that he can be a number one, and now he's showing it. So kudos to him for backing up his level of individual swagger with his play on the ice. Uh, it's, it's awesome. You know, you think about, you know, you, you mentioned some of the older guys that are playing Turco and stuff, but Chicago's always been known for, you know, having a steady guy in there back in the, the old days, obviously, with um, uh, Eddie and Bal, you know, Belfort playing and stuff. But, um, and Crawford there, obviously, running Lantern playing there for a little bit, too. But, you know, usually uh, when, when the Hawks win championships, and obviously with, pretty much with Crawford there and stuff, but um, it's a guy who's, who's carried a lot of weight. And that's pretty much the norm for, for um, a top team here. Uh, to do that uh, in the NHL and to see that this guy looks like he's, you know, is he doing that uh, tab? Is he, he's, he's taking this on. He wants this gig. 
uh, and he's uh, flourishing under you know Coach Carlton here too, and and obviously uh, it, it's got to be rewarding too, or it's got to be a feel good amongst the rest of the squad here that that's something that they don't have to worry. It doesn't seem like they have to worry about the goaltending right now. Oh, absolutely, and I think that you again when you solve the goaltending position it influences absolutely everything else on the ice. And I think that those first few games, you saw guys like a Duncan Keith, a Connor Murphy, Calvin DeHaan, um, maybe being a little bit more tentative, making sure that they weren't giving up too much or, or taking too much of a chance in, in certain situations. Um, but I think you've seen Duncan Keith elevate his game over the last three weeks. Uh, which is insane for a guy at 37. But, you know, here we are in Chicago, a city that traded away in almost 40 Chris Chelios and then watched him play for what felt like another decade. <laughs> you know, watching defensemen age in this city uh, shouldn't be something new, but just watching the way that he's able to take on just a ridiculous workload still. He's averaging over 24 minutes a game at 37 years old. He's the best and he's guy. still playing at a high level. So, I mean... Between, you know, and that's one of the things that I don't know that anyone's really taken a step back and given Bowman credit for as a GM is he knew that he had these young guys coming and he wanted to make sure that he surrounded them with steady veterans. And so you've got a Connor Murphy, you know, you bring in Zadorov. And I think early when we started talking, it was like, you know, you trade Brandon Saad for Zadorov. What, what exactly is Zadorov going to do for you when you've already got six or seven guys on the back end, uh, he's been a, a wrecking ball and he's been a good shot blocker. And as a third pair guy, I think he's, he's made a lot of sense and he's fit in pretty well, but you've got some veterans back there that have played in different systems and they're starting to come together pretty well and helping these young guys really become confident NHL players. And I don't have to tell you, you know, confidence is so big for a young player. And one of the things that people have questioned about Adam Boquist, especially in the bubble last year, was, you know, where is his confidence at on the ice right now? He's got all the ability in the world. Mm -hmm. um, but there are times that he shies away from contact. He, you know, you can see you can almost see the decision making process going through his mind before he does something uh, that has not been a, an issue with Nicholas Baudin and Ian Mitchell. Uh, and the better that those young guys look together the more hope it gives you for, you know, we, we'd use the word rebuild a lot, and it looks a lot more like a retool in Chicago than burning this thing down and trying to start from scratch because these young guys are coming in and looking as good as they have early on. But you're circling back to the question, having confidence in what you've got behind you goes light years in, in helping a team advance and start to worry about what they're doing and start doing next level stuff and putting these kids in other positions where they feel like they can succeed without worrying about what might happen on the back end. If they can confidently take a chance without worrying about the back end getting lost, that helps these young aggressive defensemen like Bowden and Boquist and Mitchell really play to their strengths, which is moving the puck, skating and, and flipping that switch offensively. And they've been able to do that because you've got some forwards that are being responsible defensively and you've got a goaltender that you don't have to worry about which you know six weeks ago we didn't know if Chicago had a goaltender much less one that they could be confident in and Lankinen has been that guy so you're right you know all the way back you look Glenn Hall Esposito Belfour 
Crawford. You know, th- these are guys that take the net and own it for the better part of a decade or more in Chicago. I'm not saying Lankinen's going to be a three-time Stanley Cup winner or Lankinen's going to win a Vesna any time in his life because uh, those are pretty bold statements. But I don't think it's crazy to think that right now he's the front runner for the Calder. Yeah, I hear you too. And and, and with that said too, last thing on the Hawks here too, um, you know, you you say the word rebuild and retool, and I'm going to use here the Rangers here in New York here going through uh, a similar situ- situation as far as quote unquote rebuild and. Um, the goaltending, not so much an issue here for them. But as far as the system, you know, the Rangers are struggling scoring, um, dealing with a couple of their veterans up front that are just not putting the puck in the net, um, and, and which is, you know, that's, it's, it's affecting their system. So from the net out here with the Hawks, Carlton has, has been able to allow uh, to, to run his system here. And obviously, you know, you're getting the Brinkat and Kane and, and Piasuta here, you know, nine, seven goals each. Uh, six goals each, um, you know, and these guys, 23 and 17 points. It's no joke here in 18 games um, as far as, you know, the Hawks, uh, you know, spreading things around up front. So, you know, is, is, is there a system that you're noticing here game in and game out, or are these guys just still, they're just riding some kind of high here and getting lucky? Uh I think initially you saw some young guys coming in and riding high. But what you've seen Carlton do is ride the hot hand with some of these young forwards. You know, last night in Detroit, obviously Detroit, again, tire fire. Um, but you're able to go with seven defensemen uh, because you've got healthy bodies. You've got guys that are good enough. I think that's a huge deal. Guys that are good enough to be in the lineup. And you're still able to put the puck in the net. Um, you know, certainly I think what Colton has done to change the power play in Chicago cannot be undersold. That was a wreck for years and just the bane of fans' existence in Chicago. You've got all this talent, some of the best players in the world, and you can't figure out how to get the damn thing in the net when you've got an advantage. And now you got some young guys that are just, I think, one of the things that's a danger when you've got that much talent is – waiting being too patient waiting for the right guy to get the right shot and you become pass happy i mean you're you're nailing what's going on here in new york you know what i'm saying it's it's but when you got young guys that just take the safety off and the second they get a look at it it's it's going on that you know that's how it happens you know you don't watch a national game and listen to old check scream about good things happen when the puck gets on net and these young guys are taking their opportunities and going with it. And you've got young guys like Brandon Hagel who, you know, bumped up to the second line last night and showing a lot of energy. And, you know, I've been very critical of Bowman in the past uh, and how he's drafted. And certainly there were years there where we did not see the Blackhawks promoting internally. But right now you've got a lineup that a lot of it is homegrown. Uh, Kirchev, that move that he put on last night, you know, we were joking with a guy this morning, Patrick Kane absolutely – undressed a guy uh, last night in the first period and Bernier made a good save. And then Kurashev basically pulls off a very similar move in the second period. If these young guys are watching what Patrick Kane can do and then trying to model it in the next period, it's a scary proposition because Kane's probably one of the better handlers that we've seen since Datsuk left the game. So, uh, you know, you, you see some systems, but you also see a lot of interchangeable parts. You see guys like uh, Matthias Yanmark already 
at six goals, and that's all he scored in 70 games last year in Dallas. So you've got some guys that are comfortable moving all over the board and very quickly developing chemistry, and chemistry is huge. And I think that's one of the hard things for your Rangers is, you know, with the number of guys that they've had missing, now they're going to be without Truba for a month. You know, they need to clean up the back end, but when you've only got 33 goals in 14 games, uh, clearly the problem is on the offensive end of the rink. Yeah. Um, and I think having some guys that are comfortable moving up and down is a big deal and not relying on one person. Early in the talked about how much the Hawks would have to rely on Patrick Kane. And certainly he's carried the mail with 23 points in 18 games, but other guys have picked up the slack and are producing at a high level also. And with the Rangers, similar situation. You look at it and you're like, how much is Panarin going to be able to do? And it really it's been the inverse of what we've seen in Chicago. Panarin hasn't been able to carry the mail every night, and not a lot of people are coming with him. So that that's where the struggle starts. But, yeah, I mean, Chicago has, has started to develop chemistry. They've got young guys that are grabbing every opportunity and showing really good energy who can skate. And then you've got some, some good veterans on the back end that are helping these young guys come along and allowing them to activate and become part of the offensive set as well. So it's rolling in Chicago right now. And as other teams, you know, Dallas is going to lose a third game now to weather. If it, if it isn't COVID, it's weather. Yeah. And the reality for Dallas, who have lost five in a row, is that they're going to have to make these up at some point. Yep. And that's, that's, that's going to be increasingly hard for these teams that are missing big banks of games as your schedule's just going to get more crowded as the season progresses. All right, one or two things here before I let you go, Tab. And uh, obviously, the, the game we, we were talking, having some fun about talking about torts last week. And then, you know, you guys played two games with a two different types of game one a high scoring game and they were in a close game on Saturday. Uh, CBJ, obviously, they used to be in the division there with the Hawks a few years back. Um, I got to ask you, watching those two games and you got them coming back up, uh, will you be uh, sorry to see them go when they come back to the Metro? Well, you know, I, I don't think anyone that's been in the arena when the cannon goes off and pees a little is, is disappointed <laughs> to leave. Um, but no, I mean, look, Columbus is fascinating to me. You know, when you look at the way that the Central is currently laid out and you've got right now Columbus in fifth, uh, you know, three points behind Carolina. Um, defensively, they are they're not good. Uh, you know, I think Columbus and Nashville are a couple teams that need to clean up the back end. I mean, Columbus has allowed 60 goals already. That's the worst in the division. Uh, you know, more than even Detroit has given up. Uh, and they've got a game in hand on the Red Wings. So, you know, Columbus, and that's, I mean, I don't have to tell you about torts. You know, if you're if you're giving up that many chances, the poor guy is going to need some you know, some of that restore hair regeneration that <laughs> you see the Brian Erlacher ads all over Chicago. The poor guy's going to yank what's left of his hair out because they are just giving up too much, uh, yeah. way too much. So, yeah, I mean, it, that when the Hawks played Columbus before, it was entertaining. Uh, you know, Line, I think, is starting to get comfortable when he's not getting, you know, duct taped to the bench. Uh, and he's, he, I mean, he's a dangerous player. He's got a ton of offensive ability. But they got to stop the puck. That's the biggest problem for Columbus right now is stopping puck, and they're just not doing it. Yeah, no doubt about it. So uh, the Hawks are in a good position, man. And uh, like I said, you bring up great points about Dallas and stuff. They, they can take advantage of this, and if they can keep uh, just rolling a hot hand here too, uh, we might see them in the playoffs here this year, which would be a, a total trip. 
Because it wasn't expected, yeah. pal. <laughs> no, it was not. Not <laughs> more people had them a top five in the lottery than a top four in their division. I think when the season started and after those four games in Florida, it felt like a lock. Uh, but here we are, and you're right. I mean, I think the biggest thing that the Blackhawks have going for them is you know they've played 18 games, which is tied today with Detroit for the most in the division. The fewest is Dallas at 12. But what the Hawks are doing right and what they're doing well is they're getting points in the standings almost every night. And that's going to put pressure on teams like Nashville and Columbus and Dallas and even to an extent Carolina, you know, who the Hawks have head up there and we'll see if those games get played because of the weather and everything down there. But it's going to put pressure on other teams in this division to not lose games in regulation because while the Blackhawks, you know, only have the nine regulation wins uh, and then they've got the four overtime losses, they're, they're putting points on the board with regularity and regulate. You're seeing that in every division right now that regulation losses are really, really tough on teams with yep. a condensed schedule and an increasingly condensed for these teams like I, poor New Jersey. I don't know when, you know what they're going to look like when they get back on the ice with different guys getting shuttled back and forth and guys still being sick. But, you know, as these teams all start to play catch up, it's almost like having more games played with points in them. If you make them count is better than being way behind the curve because you're going to be able to have some practice time on the back end of your schedule and you're going to be a little bit more spread out. So, you know, the, kudos to the Blackhawks for making it count when they get on the ice. Yeah, no, and withstanding fun. some guys being out of the lineup. Again, yeah. you know, we're talking about how exciting it is and that they're fighting to be a playoff team. And you have to remember they're doing this without Jonathan Taves and Kirby Dock. Their one and two centers are not with the team right now. And here they are, 7-2-1 and one in their last 10. Winners of three in a row, which is the longest win streak in the Central Division and sitting tied for first in the division in points. So, you know, it, it certainly gives – there's optimism. I would say optimism right now, and it should give fans hope for what the future could be when they get a Kirby Dock and hopefully a Jonathan Tabes back in the lineup, that this team is going to be deep and could do something special in the not-too-distant future. A retool, not a rebuild. An exciting uh, brand of hockey going on in Chicago. Love it. Um, last thing, uh, Tab, you're going to watch the uh, the Lake Tahoe games this weekend, Knights and the Avs and Flyers and Bruins on Sunday, Knights and Avs on Saturday. Um, do you like the fact that the NHL, obviously losing the Winter Classic, the All-Star Games, Stadium Series stuff, that they're they're able to get something like this in? Yeah, I think the fact that they're doing it somewhere that you're not going to have fans will be fun. You know, I, I think it opens up some other thoughts on, you know, do you, do you stick a rink out in Central Park or something like that? and look at doing a fanless game at some point in the future. Obviously, the financial decision is a hell no, uh, if, you know, ever again. But I, I think it'll be a really fun, scenic environment. And you've got four teams that, you know, I think people want to watch. Vegas and Colorado are, they, they've been at each other so far this year. And I think it, it doesn't take much to get Boston and Philly up to play each other. And those two teams are going to be at each other a lot this year. And so you just you cross your fingers that everything go, comes off without a hitch, that guys can stay healthy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, they've got four teams that I, should be very entertaining hockey, four teams that are definitely playoff, I would argue, championship contending uh, 
caliber teams and uh and it should be good hockey you know i look forward to it and like i said the scenery is nice but you want to see good hockey you don't want to be putting you know detroit and nashville outside right now and hoping that somebody wins these are four teams and you know you don't get a lot of the national pub around a team like colorado or vegas because of where they're at and the whole east coast bias conspiracy theories that people like to float Obviously, Philly and Boston get a lot more national TV time during prime time than than those guys do. But giving them a national audience to show how good they are, I think, is great for the game. And the more that you can expose an East Coast audience to the really good hockey that is being played in the Central and Western time zones, the better. So I'm looking forward to it. I think it'll be a blast. Yeah, it's going to be a great time. Awesome stuff. Tab, great stuff as always, man. And uh, I'm having fun watching these Hawks play, play well and keeping it going. It's uh. Like I said, I got nothing bad to, to bring up with you at the Hawks so far. Hopefully, that won't happen for a little while. <laughs> yeah, we'll just let the weather keep making us depressed and let the hockey make us smile at night. There you go. All right, buddy. Look, have a great weekend. Thanks so much as always. Look forward to uh, catching up with you next week, and I'll see you on the Twitter, pal. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. You got it. Tab Bamford, ladies and gentlemen, talking some Central Division hockey and the Chicago Blackhawks as always. And that hockey show rolls on. All right, time to head now to the West Coast, the left coast, the best coast. All depends on where you are, but you know what? As long as you're hanging out with my buddy Steve Palumbo, you're in the right place, and that's right here at THS. Steve-O, what's going on, pal? Welcome back. Ah, Paulie, just living the dream out here in the sunny Southern California, unlike the rest of the country. You are mean (laughs) every week. I, You know, it's, it's not, you know... We don't know if the Devils are going to be playing in July, but I'm telling you, we're still doing this show and talking puck. That's the only time we'll be able to turn around and say, it's sunny and warm here, buddy. I'm doing the show from the beach, pal. How are you doing? Oh, uh, it's it's crazy when you look at how the rest of the country is faring right now, and I, there's not a cloud in the sky here. But, uh, you know, it, it's it's been relatively cold. I mean, it's probably mid-60s today. Buddy, you guys in Cali deserve this break you guys have been through wildfires and yep, yep all yep. kinds of terrible stuff so i'm glad it's uh clearing up out there and and, and hopefully the uh the uh the covid thing turns around too so uh positive signs as we move forward into uh the third month here in march here we're still in february but we're getting closer to march here in 2022 and the new jersey devils have stepped back onto the ice and it's a mirror. I grit my teeth here, <laughs> beat my New York Rangers 5-2 to two on Tuesday. You guys got the Bruins tonight. You guys are holding steady here, 5-3-2 and two with the return after a couple of weeks, 12 points after 10 games played. Um, and, you know, you got uh, three with Buffalo and the Caps coming up. But it starts with the Bruins this evening. But before we go there, go ahead, pal. You can gloat a little bit on your Lindy Ruff Devils. Spanking my Coach Quinn, New York Strangers ass. Go. I'm not going to gloat. The Rangers Come are on. That, this is hockey. This is, this is that <laughs> hockey show, man. Give me the business. Look, the fact that the Devils are above <laughs> the Rangers in the standings and they got four games at hand and they've beaten them twice, and this is the third straight time that they've beaten them at Madison, Madison Square Garden, which is the first time in history. It doesn't mean anything right now because the Rangers so are shorthanded. Good. 
<laughs> I, I just felt it in my stomach. And I was just, <laughs> look, it, you probably you have that written down, right? Or, or is it scrolled on one of those old medieval pages and you got it ready for me, you know, when you read it? That was brilliant, man. Home yeah, it's run. just like a ticker tape running through my head every time I <laughs> think about it. <laughs> oh, man, good stuff. All right, so let's, let's start with the Devils here, and we'll, and we'll do some West Coast hockey here at the end. Um, but look, man, uh, five goals, an empty netter, obviously, there by um, Mikhail uh, Matsev, obviously. But Butcher, uh, how do you say Vigor's name? <laughs> Sharon Govich. There you go. Yeah. Very good. Uh, yeah. Zaka, Pavel Zaka to me was like, uh, that, uh, Peter Pruka, um, and then, uh, Merkley as well, but five goals. I mean, two weeks, no practice, you know, you come in, Rangers are struggling yeah. obviously. And Blackwood has just another fantastic game, but you, you gotta be happy, obviously waiting for hockey to come back, uh, seeing the devils and, and going into the garden again. Um, but you know, take take a, take a page here. I know it's only one game, but it's it's better than the other way around, right there, uh, Stevie. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was good to see him back on the ice, and you know, the game was obviously it's against the Rangers, so it has had a little extra something to it. It means more, but um, it was just nice to see them back on the ice and to see that the contributions they got from the different players, the guys filling in. You know, Butcher hasn't played all season, gets an opportunity, makes the most of it, puts the puck in the net. Uh, Sharon Govich hadn't scored since the first game of the season against uh, uh, Boston uh, or the first win, the Devils first win when they won in overtime. And, uh, you know, he gets that nice deflection there for the game winning goal. It was it was great just to see all the contributions to see, you know, Blackwood had been off for about three weeks, hadn't played anything. He was having some COVID effects, couldn't breathe. And uh, to see him out there and to to play so well and um, Lindy's really got the guys buying in, even when the best players, you know, uh, Hughes and Palmieri and some of those guys don't have their best. These other guys seem to step up. Pavel Zaka, you know, maybe, maybe rough is the, is the guy that can turn Pavel Zaka into that, you know, everything we thought he could be, you know, they, the devils used a six pick on him a few years ago. People have hated that pick ever since, but he, he really is a good player. And if you can get, if he keeps using that shot and, you know, he continues to develop his two-way game. He's another valuable piece of this team. So it was just encouraging all around. Yeah, it's good stuff. Lindy's got a, a phenomenal team made up of guys with just fantastic hockey names. You know, yeah, absolutely. Whether it's Mackenzie Blackwood <laughs> or Nicholas Merkley. And who the heck is Yanni Kukinen? Come on. So it's First it's star awesome. the other night. Left winger. Yanni what? Kukinen. What'd he do? He didn't even score. The Devils got him for free, basically, because he came over in the Sammy Votnin trade, and Votnin makes his debut for the Devils tonight. And uh, it's just, I mean, he's the, he. We, we were excited to get him last season, but to actually see him in there contributing, he's a, he's a sneaky good player. He, he's a smart hockey player, and you know he had the, the three assists the other night. He's I think he's got five points or six points in his last few games. So another another shrewd uh, move there by the Devils to to get that guy in and now he had Sammy back in the, in the lineup. So it's just, just a, another one of those players. And, and you know, the, another hard name to pronounce, but you know, it's, it is what it is. It's another fun hockey name. It's a great, it's a great hockey name and it's all good stuff. Uh, let's talk about the two studs there in the back there. And that's PK Subban here. And obviously uh, Damon Severson, 
Uh, PK clocking in, uh, tw- you know, his average almost 20 minutes a game here. Obviously, big personality. Uh, I think he's really having a lot of fun in Jersey. Uh, again, you know, they haven't played in two weeks, but I think he's, you know, since he's been there, he's, he's just been a positive influence. And a guy gets to play un- uh, under another experienced coach, rough here, obviously, Laviolette in the past. And uh, before that, uh, Claude Julian in Montreal. And, uh, you know, Severson had 25 minutes on Tuesday night, too, man. I mean, these two guys, if they stay healthy, um, you know, and the way Blackwood's playing in the back here, and and then you're getting so many different offensive contributions up front. I hate to say this, buddy, but you have a nice little mix going on here in New Jersey. It's amazing. It's it's a lot of fun. For the first time in several seasons, it's just fun to, to watch Devils hockey, you know, uh, you might not like this, but I never felt, even when the Rangers w- would respond with a goal, I never felt like the Rangers had any really opportunity to ever take that game over. They had a couple pushes here and there, but the Devils always responded, and they've been like that all season, even you know against Boston, against Buffalo, against Philly. They've always found a way to respond, and, and you get that solid goaltending. And, and one thing I really like about PK, uh, his game this year, is he's not trying to be that Norris Trophy winning you know, rush up the ice. He's, he's playing a good, simple hockey game and uh, it's really showing him. He's making smarter plays than he was before. He does, you know, he, he does, you know, now and again, make a, the risky player, the head scratching play, but he's been a lot steadier back then. And Severson has just taken the next step. You know, he's, he's a rock back there for them. He's so smart. Um, he just really steady force. And it's good, uh, you know, when he's, he's out there with a guy like, uh, like Ty Smith and you can see Smith is, is he, even for a young kid, he feels really steady back there. And I just think it's a trickle down effect. Even a guy like Matt Tennyson, who's a, you know, uh, kind of a, a throw in there has played really solid this season for the devils uh, in the, on the blue line. So it's just been really fun. I, they have a big test tonight, you know, Boston is a juggernaut and it'll be interesting to see how, how this game unfolds and, and, Another just another one of those uh, those market watermarks for the Devils to see where they are and if they can actually compete in this division and in this league. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, look if they can um, if they can put up a good game and maybe pull out a win here against the Bruins, and then um, you know with Buffalo coming up and, and no disrespect to the Sabers, talking with Joe about them earlier, but they're 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 struggling themselves and you know the yep. Caps here are coming off a little bit of a layoff too, and we'll see what they bring up. But uh, you know the Devils, I'm sure they're looking at this. Even with the break here and, and coming off the win against the Rangers, they got to look at this game tonight and then look at the schedule and say, hey, look, we have a potential here to maybe claw up a little higher into the standings here and and, and, yep. and, and, and basically let everybody else in the division know we're here to stay. Um, and, yep. and talking about Ruff here, you know, he's a defensive-orientated uh, coach, so he's got, he's got his goaltender, there's no doubt about it. And, mm-hmm. you know... The way PK and, and Damon go here forward is going to be big for him, and he doesn't really have to to worry too much about it. And then again, the bonus here is all the scoring and on all the young guys. And then you know, guys that, that you've talked about it too. Guys have been in and out, so it's a, it's a really impressive job. And you know, the Rangers are obviously struggling. Quinn here is third year coach, collegiate guy, and you just see like what's going on, you know, with Trots in Long Island, and you see what Lindy's done here with the Devils because of their experience. Very uh, these these and let's stick with Ruff here too. This guy's experienced enough to know how to use his assets. And when he and we were talking about this with with Tab too, as far as Chicago with uh, Lincoln in there and you know Duncan Keith and their defensive core. When you when you're good from the net out, and then all you need is scoring. Like the Rangers can't score. 
So yeah. that's their biggest problem, and now they're going to have some defensive holes um, while they, their goaltenders try and get a, st- a stretch run here. But, man, the, the Devils have a nice balance here, and, and a guy like Lindy Ruff behind the bench right now is one of the probably the best things for this franchise. You know, he, he really is, and you know, people talked about how – you know, everywhere he stopped, he's always gotten the most offensively and how he turned out, you know, turned around some of, you know, Dallas and some of their young players, Sagan, Ben, those guys were able to start scoring when, when they were under rough. And I, I think the devils have alluded to it. Several of the players have talked about it. Jack Hughes has mentioned it, that rough, he takes time to, to, with each player, you know, he'll, he'll walk up to them, he'll talk to them, he makes them feel comfortable. And I think for a young team, uh, that's really important. You can see like, like last year, Jack Hughes was like shot out of a cannon, falling all over the place. He kind of just looked lost out there. But now he's got the freedom and he's got the support and he's got the confidence from his coach. And I think it's kind of uh, comes up and down the lineup. And I think one thing that has really stood out to me this year for the Devils, which has been absent in previous years, is they've got abilities to put the puck in the net from all four lines. You know, it used to be they were really top heavy and even then their top was, was a little light. And now they've got guys up and down the lineup. When, when the, the first line isn't going, the fourth line is going, when the fourth line isn't going, you got the second line going. If the third, the second line's not going, you got the first and the third line. So it's just given them that little extra, you know, it kind of just rounds out the team and it makes them really competitive. Something that we haven't seen in the past, they would fall down by a goal, two goals. They didn't have the ability to push, and come back and, and now they just you know they they're a danger no matter who's on the ice to put the puck in the net and it's been it's just I can't say it enough it's really refreshing and, and exciting to be able to see where this team goes yeah absolutely I mean look Boston's going to be a great test for them tonight but you know yep. Rangers played them close in two games yeah and the Rangers don't have they don't have the offense that the Devils are showing right now and again right. we're, we're going off of a two-week break here in one game obviously but Lindy's got other yep. options that he can throw at them. And, again, experienced yep. defensive core uh, and, a, and a goaltender that's playing pretty well tonight. And I, I'm, I apologize. I haven't seen I imagine uh, Blackwood starting, you know. But, um, you know, that's – They that's, haven't come out and said it, but they've alluded to it. That's, yeah. I, yeah. But you, you'd imagine you, – you, you know, you, you'd think he'd want to come back with him, right? Because he's, he's, your, he's, your, he's your number one guy. There's no doubt about it, right? So you oh, want to – they've been – they haven't played. So he's he's got to get the ice time. I'd be shocked if he doesn't play tonight. So um, just a super test for, for the Devils tonight, and I think they can give them a good run for it. And, and man, if they can come on the other side of this after this game tonight, man, uh, I think me and you on Thursdays here talking about the Devils is going to be a little more fun <laughs> going forward. Cause I, think it's a tri- so. I think so. It's a trip, man, because, you know, you look at Chicago and you look at the Devils, yeah. and I'll just talk about me. I, I didn't give them much of a chance. You know, I don't think many in, in the in the league gave them much of a chance. You know, and you can expect what's going on in Buffalo and you can expect what's going on in Detroit and Ottawa here. And you know, the Rangers are definitely not where they – thought they would be because of the the talent that they have on paper and again if you're not scoring goals you can't win and that's right. the bottom line so that's the bright spot here for a, a devil's team who like i said is 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 using its strength from the net out and stuff so uh i'm looking forward to the game tonight i i think uh i think that's gonna be a lot of fun for them is there any other thing here that's standing out uh on the devils that you want to bring up that i haven't mentioned uh before we head uh, over through uh some western division hockey no, I just think that, you know, 
we still haven't seen the full Devils team yet. We still haven't seen them with yeah, Nico Heischer. We haven't seen them with Vatten. And Ryan Murray has been out with an illness that's not COVID-related. And Zajac is still out uh, with the after effects of COVID, even though he's come off the COVID list. I, we just haven't seen the entire team yet. So who knows, like, what that could do? Will it disrupt chemistry or will it make them that much better? So I just think the fact that they're doing this with bits and pieces and players up and down between the taxi squad, I think is even more impressive. And and I just can't wait to see when they've got the full team out there, including Nico Heischer, who is arguably their best player all around. I just think, you know, we haven't the best is yet to come for this team. Oh, boy. Great. Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, it's good stuff. All right, buddy. You're out there in the West Coast and, uh, you know, Lake Tahoe games this weekend. And as far as uh, the West is concerned, you got uh, Vegas and Colorado. It should be a good matchup, obviously. Uh, national television here, great setting. So I think that's just a super matchup. Obviously, the Bruins and the Flyers will be great here for the uh, the Eastern side as far as representation here. Um, look, I'm just going to throw this at you right now. We touched on a few things last week, bopping around with the Kings and the Ducks. But um, is, there, is there a team or a player who you want to talk about uh, as far as what's brewing here uh, in the West Coast outside of the obvious top four guys here? I mean, I know the... The Coyotes is a wild story too, with a lot going on, and as far as the you know just the franchise itself. So, you tell yes. me there, Stevie. Let me know what you want to talk about here, as far as the Western Division. Well, I think it. You know, they've had their COVID issues, and they're kind of starting to sort themselves out. Everyone's starting to get back on the ice, so it'll be really interesting to see how these next couple of weeks go in this division. Um, you know, you've got Colorado and and the Avalanche. I mean, call. Colorado and Vegas playing each other and they've been fantastic games and we're going to see them in the Tahoe game and they get all the headlines and stuff. But I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see over the next uh, several weeks how St. Louis looks because the Blues, you know, they're they're right up there with those other two teams. They played the most games in the division, but their next 10 games are against the California teams, uh, L.A., Anaheim and San Jose, which, you know, it could either be a heck of a run for St. Louis and, and you know, as they move themselves up to the standings or, you know, the California teams could, could put a, you know, a real wrinkle in their season. But I think that's going to be really interesting to watch how they play over these next uh, several weeks. I think they don't play uh, another t- a non-California team until mid-March or towards the end of March. So that is going to be, that is a really soft part of the schedule. Um, and I want to talk about the LA Kings because, you know, we talked about last week, if Dowdy was hurt, how it would affect them and, Dowdy ends up coming back and the Kings have strung a couple wins together, including an impressive four, nothing win against Minnesota, who was coming back off the COVID break yep. and the Kings continue to hang around. Every time I don't give them a shot, they just kind of prove me you know, wrong. And that's another team. They're getting scoring from a lot of these young players and, and those vets that are still putting the puck in the net. So they're doing a lot better than I thought they would be. And, uh, I'm not going to count them out for the rest of the season. I just think as long as they got solid goaltending and quick, and those good bets back there that they're going to be in every game this year. Yeah, man. Look, you look at this division right now, and with Minnesota getting back into it too, I mean, and, and you know, they're eighth in the division, but they're only four points out of that um, that fourth spot for the playoffs. Right. And they got games in hand, so. Yeah, and, and you can just kind of see here that the, the bottom fight here, you know, if Vegas stays healthy, and, and you bring up a great point here with St. Louis in terms of how they're going to do on the other side, when they come in against the California teams who right now, you know, do you, th- do you think they're maybe finding their way a little bit, uh, you know, as far as their identity and, and, and getting key players back, specifically here in L.A. and Anaheim, as, as you've talked about in San Jose. But 
Um, as this moves forward a little bit, it's putting a little more pressure on those top three teams because I think those those bottom four are getting a little better. And if they get on a little bit of a run here and a little bit of a flow, uh, you know, you talk about the Central and the Canadian division here and uh, not so much uh, the East here, but um, this Western division could be a hell of a fight here at the end. I mean, it really is. If you look at the standings, they're all – the bottom four are all hovering around NHL 500. They all have very similar records. Uh, offensively, they're very similar, uh, except for the Sharks defensively. That all the teams are, you know. So I mean, it, you could literally just see them leapfrogging each other throughout the entire season. That's the way it feels. They could be just shuffling those the bottom four, and then one of them will eventually, you know, the season will end, and one of them will emerge as a, you know, a legitimate playoff content, you know, option. But uh, I think I saw something interesting the other day. Um, someone was putting the question out there. Do you think that the San Diego goals could beat the Anaheim Ducks? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> um, and I think it would be close, but I think, you know, and the reason that was out there is because the Ducks are doing this without the ability to score and it, all their offensive weapons seem to be down in San Diego and San Diego is a juggernaut. And it just speaks to like the future of the, that team and the future of, of LA uh, with their, their prospects and stuff coming up. So if they can manage to hang around this season, um, all of those teams have the potential to really surprise some some people. I, I still don't think there are, any of them are that good, especially San Jose is not very good. Um, but they're all competitive teams. And I think being that they're in this playing only within the division, all of them are going to have the ability to kind of hang around this, you know, this playoff margin, this, this, you know, for the bottom four, nobody's cracking the top three out of the bottom five, but um, I think they're all going to be fun to watch and, and jockey back and forth throughout the season. Yeah. I mean, look, you know, your, your ducks are four games away from, from hitting the 20, 20 game mark, you know, and then you're yep. looking at 32 games left here. Right. You know, so, right. you know, to, to be in a position right now to hang around, you know, mm-hmm. obviously it's great for the fans here. And teams that are developing, retooling, you know, that's been a discussion here t- today, obviously, with Sabres talk and Hawks talk with Tab and and, and Joey and, and obviously the Canadians, too, here a little bit as far as, you know, where they're, you know, playing up against the Leafs and that just phenomenal Canadian division uh, up north here, too. But um, so fun. Yeah, man, it's 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 good hockey. So, you know, here we are week five. And looking at this Western division here, too, and, and, and seeing how some of these teams can kind of to make a play for it. I want to talk to you maybe something about off the ice here with the mm-hmm. Kings, the Sharks, and the Ducks and their struggles right now. And obviously, um, you know, I know you're a baseball guy like me, too. With the headlines like the the Padres are making and the Dodgers are making with all this money they're giving these guys coming in, is what's the buzz there for hockey now um, in, in L.A.? Um you know, with this season, you know, obviously we, no fans in the building here. Um, give give everybody a, an idea of the, 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 the buzz and the coverage on the L.A. teams in San Jose here in, in California. You mentioned the, um, you know, the American League team there as well, too. I mean, um, is it getting enough coverage, getting enough headlines? Uh, no, no. Okay. I mean, the they've always been fairly regionally important. You know, they're, they're, you've got the, they have their fan bases. Their fan bases are really passionate. But, you know, when you've got the L.A. Lakers doing what they're doing um, and you've got the Dodgers winning the World Series, now you got the Padres coming on. Those are going to get all the headlines. Um, you know, the, the Clippers are good, and even the Clippers are going to get more headlines than, you know, than that. But, you know, everybody in this area, they like a winner. 
And when the Kings were winning their cups and the Lakers were down, the, the Kings were the, the talk of the town. It's obviously, you got the Lakers being successful, and the Lakers are above any everything. Gotcha. You know, even above the Rams, you know, football is, you know, wildly popular, but the Lakers still will will um, trump whatever happens in the in the football on the football field. So I think without having fans in the building, it, it's going to be tough for them to stay relevant. But I will say this. I, you know, I play beer league hockey and everybody on my team, well, the majority of them are either a Kings fan or a Ducks fan. So we have some heated discussions in the locker room before and after <laughs> games regarding these teams. And they all seem fairly excited about the young players and stuff they have. But I just, you know, me as a Devils fan, I just say Jack Hughes or Mackenzie Blackwood and I put them all, I shut them all up. But they, they still care about their teams. It's just, you know, it's not going to be something you're going to turn on the news and they're going to be talking about the Kings and the Ducks. You, if anything, it'll be relegated to a ticker at the bottom of the screen. Yeah, well, that's unfortunate, but it's kind of like, you know, I mean, the Rangers and the Islands get, and the Devils get enough here uh, uh, as well, but obviously, again, you know, big, huge markets here, Yankees, Mets, Giants, and right. Jets, which you're familiar with, too, obviously being from here on the East Coast, too, but uh, it's just interesting to see, um, you know, what the buzz is out there, especially when the teams are struggling a little bit, but hopefully, like I said, they can hang around here because, you know, getting into the middle of this season right now and heading towards the end uh, and, you know, getting guys like big personalities back like Dowdy and stuff like that and helping these, uh, you know, the Kings and the Ducks uh, get back into the mix. Uh, they'll rise up above a little bit. And us as hockey fans, it should be a, a great run here. All the divisions are kind of playing out pretty good as far as, you know, after that fourth and fifth spot. Maybe not mm-hmm. so much for, uh, you know, the Rangers and, and, and Buffalo here. And, and the Devils might, you know, start making a noise here as we were talking about as well. Um, I want to uh, ask you one last thing before I go. And because they don't really get too much headlines. They're kind of quiet and stuff. And they've kind of always been a weird franchise. And I mentioned it before about the Coyotes and stuff. But I'd love to just get your take here. Um, you know, PR-wise, Glendale, all the stuff that's going on. Do you think ultimately that a franchise should survive there in Arizona or, or maybe, you know, Steve, maybe your take on it, obviously, you know, whether it's central or Western hockey there and stuff and, and their program, as opposed to how development's been in California with, I know, which I know you're very familiar with there too. Do you think ultimately that the, the NHL might need to find another home for these guys? You know, I, now every time it feels like the Coyotes have a chance to gain ground, they do something to, to kind of, you know, put their foot in their mouth. You know, Austin Matthews is a legit uh, MVP candidate this year. He's from Arizona. It should be able to, you know, hockey should be able to be sustainable there in Arizona. And that they've had some competitive teams there, but just all the PR stuff that comes out. And that thing that happened the other day with Katie String. I mean, what was that all about? It's just embarrassment after embarrassment after embarrassment for this franchise. And it, it, it sucks to see. Um, you think they're kind of, you know, when they brought in Chica and they did all that kind of stuff that maybe they were moving in the right direction, that turns out to blow up in their face. And, um, you know, I, and, you know, they keep talking about putting a franchise in Houston. Um, I think a, a hockey franchise in Houston would be great. And I don't know if they want to expand beyond 32 teams with Seattle coming in. So p- the possibility of Coyotes maybe relocating to Houston seems like a real possibility to me. And I'm just kind of throwing it out there. But I, I just can't stay. I just don't understand you know, what they keep doing. And I don't see them being long, uh, long-term in Arizona. It's, it's, it sucks, but it's just, it's embarrassing. Yeah. It's, it's tough, man. You know, obviously any city that's got a team, 
you have to think about the fan base too, but you know, they, right. they've been there in spots and stuff, but you know, it's like anything. Uh, and we were talking about Lou Lamb last week too. If you don't have that stability up front ownership straight down to the top, you know, the front office, yeah. and that's been a big problem too in Arizona too. And, and, um, and they got PR issues as well. So, you know, you have to figure the league's going to step in here one way or the other. And, and um, I know Batman wants to keep him there some way or the other. So the league has done everything they possibly can over the last several decades to, to keep this team viable and keep it in Arizona. But uh, sometime, uh, eventually something's got to give, you know, teams have the devils came from two different cities before, you know, finally settling in New Jersey. So it's not unprecedented that a team would move a couple times before finding a permanent home. But you would like to see them make Arizona a permanent home. I think it's a good hockey market. I think the fans really, you know, that, that they're same, same out here in California. They're, they're regional, but they're, they're loyal and you'd like to see it work. I just, you know, they just can't seem to stay out of their own way. Absolutely. Well, their headlines will continue to roll as we move forward. But anyway, buddy, uh, good luck tonight. Uh, you know, hopefully you guys have a good game. Devil's there against the Bruins and, uh, We'll continue happy talk with Steve Palumbo and his New Jersey Devils here Thursdays on THS. Buddy, have a great weekend. Always love talking to you. And stay safe and healthy. Thanks so much, brother. All right, bud. Take care. You, you too. got it. Bye. Steve Palumbo, ladies and gentlemen, talking some New Jersey Devils and some left coast hockey right here on THS. And that puts a bow on another show here. Thanks so much, everybody, for downloading, subscribing, tweeting, sharing. Make sure you follow the account at That Hockey Show. Follow all the guys and give us some feedback. Uh, Week five here is a wrap, and we move forward. Enjoy the games this weekend, Lake Tahoe, and good luck to all your teams uh, playing this weekend. And as always here at THS, everybody stay healthy, stay safe, and keep your head up. Paulie, Tab, Joey, Costa, and Steve out.